Hello and welcome to episode 166 of Sorry You're In My Seat, a weekly podcast that unites best friends on a quest to find the greatest movies of all time. I'm your host Aaron and each week I have the pleasure of talking movies and films with my best buddy James Podcaster. James Podcaster. And uh, we leave no stone unturned on the quest to find the greatest of all time. This week, no exception. No, it's, it's, do you know what, mate? I don't know if you've noticed, but the country's in danger. COVID's attacked us for two years. In our horror, we always turn to one man. One man to save our way of life. You know, in the fictional world, he'll save us from terrorists. But in the real world, he'll put us back in the cinema. It's Bond. James Bond. Daniel Craig's James Bond, to be specific. This week, we're going to look at the Daniel Craig James Bond movies and the first of a series of podcasts dedicated to James Bond, the franchise, all the incarnations, all the different variations. Uh, it's not to say that next week we're going to do Bond again oh, or no. again. We're going to split them up over the course of a year, like we've done with things like animation, like we've done with <sighs> directors. Well, you know, we're going to give it a break because one, you've got to remember these films aren't widely available. We've done a lot of DVD swapping this week to make sure that we've covered the five films that obviously went to the cinema to go see the big one. But I believe Amazon have bought them. You know, I said a few weeks ago, I'm sure someone's bought the rights. So soon, hopefully they'll be on Amazon, all of them for a long time because MGM has sold the rights to all of its film franchises, including the Rockies. Hopefully Amazon will find, we'll be able to binge them. So the future episodes we'll do Pierce Bosnan. We'll do Sean Connery and we'll do the daddy of them all, George Layson. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No Roger Moore. <laughs> I'm quite looking forward to revisiting some of them. I've seen them all growing up, watched them. Family was quite into Bond growing up. Mm. Um, I think we had the majority of them at some point and they were on, they were on like ITV every they were Saturday. ITV. Yeah. You know, it was staple that, you know, you could, growing up, you flip through the channels, you'll find Bond somewhere on one of the days. And uh, I like, I, to be honest, I've got fond memories of all of them. I bet they don't age well. I bet they don't age well at all. I think a lot of people have been talking about Daniel Craig's era of Bond. And I think if you started it, it's completely different to how it ended, you know, because mm. that's how time works. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. linear. <laughs> we'll start in 2006 with Casino Royale. We're going to work our way up to the new release, No Time to Die, of which there will be spoilers. So we'll give you plenty of warning if you haven't seen the latest Bond movie to turn off the episode because we will be breaking it down, digesting it, looking at our favourite parts and discussing that movie. So we will give you plenty of heads up, but that's not going to be till the end. We're going to do Casino Royale first and work our way forward. And then obviously we're going to give you our thoughts because Daniel Craig has said he doesn't want to play Bond anymore. So we'll be talking about possibly what, what we meant to us. Where does he stand in the greats? Maybe what about the future? You know, obviously we'll fantasy book for a yeah. little bit because everyone does, That's mate. what we do. You know, That's what we do. You've done the hard work by downloading this episode. So just sit back. We'll, we'll take it from here. Yeah got like a good hour and a bit to just fill and ramp and just... Oh, mate, this is one of these ones where there's only really five films to talk about, but I've got so much to say on all of them. Before that, I do want to uh, just touch base. <gasps> well, you had a good week? I've had a very good week. I've, you know, I've been, it's been very wholesome, if I would have to say. Do you know what? I've rewatched as well, and I'm kind of hoping that we can do some episodes on it in the future. I never... You know when you're a kid and you watch a film and you think you're laughing and you think it's great? But then you rewatch it as an adult, and not only does it hold up well, but there are jokes that you missed loads of. Yeah. The Adams Family, the live-action series. Oh, the Adams Family and Adams Family Values, they're on Netflix, man. I watched them this week. Well, in the last two weeks. There were so many jokes I missed as a kid. You know, like the idea that they're constantly in and out of jail. Like, I, it was so funny on a different level. I was, had so much fun. Which one did you prefer? I prefer the second one. The second one's but that's nothing else. The first one, I like the first one. Like the idea of Gomez just like hitting golf balls in someone's house. If I was rich, mate, that's what I'd do. Mm. Just piss everyone off around me. But it was so much fun rewatching them. I urge you. Because in true, sorry you're in my seat fashion, probably, I'm telling you to watch them now. They're probably out by the time you hear this. The biggest one being last week we did The Matrix. 
Yes, he's out now. <laughs> don't think, don't it's finished on Netflix, it's isn't it? It's finished on Netflix. What, what way? We, we've got, we've had such a run of reviewing movies that then the week after disappear <laughs> off the streaming site so no one can watch them. I like to think we plan it, but we're not, we're not that organised. <laughs> but Mario's still there. Super Mario Brothers is still there. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's yeah, it's been a good week. I haven't watched Adam's Family. I did hover on it the other day and I thought with it being Halloween around the corner. Yeah. It, I probably am going to revisit it um, at some point. I had a good night last night. You? I met a celebrity. No, you didn't. I did. Where you cheating? I met a famous person, James. Oh. Want to play 20 questions to guess who it is? Again? Yeah, because this worked so well when it was Bill Nye. Yeah, well, you got one of the questions wrong. I'd like to find exactly, out. that's what I mean. So last time when we played twenty questions, because I bumped into Bill Nye in I mean, London, I got the Shield one last few weeks. I got that pretty quick. I got that within three questions. Oh yeah, but I didn't meet anyone from the Shield. <laughs> there you go. Free so, question, mate. So, no, oh, yeah. Oh, sly. All right, start from now. Twenty questions. I will help you out though, because it's okay. a bit. You know, I won't just say yes or no. I will help you out. Okay. Um, British. No. Female. No. So we're going for a male. Not Englander. <laughs> <laughs> Narrowed it down. Narrowed it down to most of the planet. American. Yes. Or potentially, no, it is, yeah, yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. More movie than than TV. Uh, so this is what I mean by helping you out. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's, it's filmography is, or, or career, very much films, but probably TV is the thing people know him from. Okay. Um, do you have a famous father? So she's not that I'm aware ah, of. Okay. I've wasted that one. Ooh, he's a cheeky one. I'm trying to work out where, where were you last night? Where would you have met him at some sort of benefit? They, wait a minute. Were they big in the eighties? They were <laughs> in something big in the eighties. Rob Lowe stood around for Boston. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the last film they were in. Oh God, you're right. Oh no, 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 no that, that, that kind of answers the question. The TV series that they might be known for, mm-hmm. was it in the 90s? No. Was it in the middle, in the noughties? It was, yes, after 2000, yeah. <sighs> Bugger. See, oh, this is difficult. How many questions have I got? Seven left. You've got another seven. A-lister. See, I would say yes, because <laughs> so the no. film, well, no, right. So define A-lister. I suppose no, because A-lister is going to the Academy Awards every year, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Right, this person, undoubtedly, you've seen their work. I, I I imagine everyone listening to this podcast has seen their work in some carnation. American. Yeah. But but I, to me, I, I yeah, not A-lister, but as I say, I, you you everyone listening to this podcast will know the person. <sighs> but not film, but big T, well, film in the 80s. They were in a big film in the 80s, yeah, but have since gone on to have a career and then a very popular show in the 2000s. That's so irritating. I think I've run out of questions. I don't have a clue. You've got 13 questions, mate. We've still got 13 questions. Yeah, well, you just, right. you just been venting around right. the things that we've already talked about. Okay, right, okay. So um, have they won an Emmy or an Oscar? Um, have they won an award that you know the, of? I'm, I'm my the show has. Ooh, the TV show? Yeah. You can only answer yes or no questions. Right. Um, big American drama. Not drama. Oh, comedy. Yes. Are they from Scrubs? Yes. Oh. How did you get there? Because I'm just thinking, because I don't know what you did last night. So you might have gone somewhere because of this person 
Um, I'm going to go John C. McGinley. It was John C. Yes. McGinley! <laughs> 12! <laughs> 12 questions, yeah. That's amazing. Met John C. McGinley last night. For those that can't see. Oh, that's amazing. A Did you not invite him on? I did, did ask him if he wanted to come on, but he's, oh, he said he was busy. That's brilliant. He looks so happy. Do you want my favourite memories? I know you would have asked him about scrubs. You would have asked him about all those brilliant things. The only thing I would do, though, the only thing I would ask him was like, did you enjoy falling out of the building in the Highlander too? Well, James. <laughs> well, James. Mate, these are... Settle in. There are moments like this where I think you and I might be soulmates, mate. <laughs> so I had to go, go, to go see an audience with Johnson McGinley, about 200 fans in the room with him. Uh, you know, sat there... Q&A, really interesting. So obviously, if you don't know John C. McGinley, just Google it, but Scrubs, Dr. Cox, probably the big incarnation, currently in Brooklyn 99, but all the way back in the 80s, big break, Oliver Stone's platoon, has been in so many films that, that you would know, The Rock uh, being one of those, um, Hallander yeah, 2, as James has said. He's been in some great, even if he's seven. Yes, yeah, no. seven. They play California in that, the, the SWAT lead. Um, identity, you know, and then comedies, things like Wild Hogs and, you know, you can't win them all. Everyone's got a different, <laughs> Everyone's got a different. Uh, Article 99 with Keith Sutherland in that weird early 90s phase after Flatliners when he kind of just started doing them movies. But John C. McGinley, uh, I'm going to, honest to God, I love the guy. I think he's comedy genius. I think he's created one of the greatest characters in TV yeah. history. Dutch Cox is amazing. Dutch Cox is amazing. And he's played to an inch of perfection because that guy could be a bully. He, he yeah. could be seen as a bully, but actually, you know, when you actually break that character down, deconstruct him, he's a, he's a fascinating character, the mentor figure to obviously the, the lead JD. Talks about his filmography, his film career, how he got into acting, you know, all that kind of stuff. Afterwards, when in like in small groups, you're allowed to just go up and chat to him for a little bit. And uh, so I sat down with him and, uh, you know, the few people asking certain questions. And then when it comes to, <laughs> it comes to me, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to do it because this is probably the only time I'm ever going to be in with John C. McGinley. And I led by saying, because everyone's asking questions like favourite episode of Scrubs, you know, all well, that kind big of stuff. Ones, yeah. they're, not, they're, they're not fans, they're horse. Well, I, I, I started off by saying, John, mate, I'll be honest, no one's talked about identity tonight, criminal. And, he, and the thing I liked about this guy, he was like, great movie, love that movie. He yeah. likes his work, it was fine. He didn't um, rock it then. He was like, it's not, oh, I liked it when I was promoting it. Dog shit. After. Well, no, he's, he's, yeah, he's, he said he's, uh, he said in the interviews and stuff, he said he's like his best mate's John Cusack and, you know, they started giving that oh, movie. Cool. So uh, he name dropped like shit. He was like, he was like, like oh, was, though, yeah, he? he was I was talking to John Markovich the other week. He's like, of course you were. John, Would you Johns just get together? John Cusack, John Markovich, John <gasps> C. McGinley. Oh my God, sounds amazing. <laughs> but, and um, so then, yeah, so I led by the question I asked him, I was like, what film has given you the, you know, has been the most um, eye-opening and just mind-blowing experience from script to screen where when you, because I'm a big fan of everyone else other than the actor, like, because I know actors get celebrated and live these lavish lifestyles, but you got to remember there was about 140 people making that person look amazing. Yeah. From the props department, the sound department, the costume design, the directors or the assistants, like, in many ways, I'm amazed Adam Sandler is as shit as he is because he's got so many people trying to make him look good. So I, I was led with that and I just said, look, what what film have you kind of gone into reading the script? And then when you've seen it, seen the finished article, you've gone, shit, like that, right, wow. I didn't think it was going to do that. And and when you see what everyone else has done. And he said seven, he was, you know, which is, if I put money on it, I thought it was seven because yeah. that's that film is still a benchmark in terms of cop movies oh, yeah, it still is he talks about Kevin Spacey he said you know obviously he said obviously cancel culture now you know he says but he, you know, he said Kevin brought out an amazing performance in that movie um, he's talking about how him and Brad Pitt went to like um, LAPD for like two weeks so to kind of like learn a bit of the craft and learn how to handle guns and that kind of stuff and then he said but I'll tell you the opposite to that yes. he says and that's when 
you've gone into a movie with high expectations and then it's been dog shit. <laughs> it's been Highlander And he too. went, and he goes, he goes, for me, that was Highlander 2. To which I went, he goes, for, he, he goes, for me, it was Highlander 2. And I went, and for us, John. And for us. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just staring at me and I'm like, oh shit, I'm pissed off Dr. Cox. And, um, and he was just like, and he snapped out of it. And then he was like, he goes, because on paper, you've got Christopher Lambert Sean and you've Connery. got Sean Connery. You've even got Michael Ironside, who I like. Yeah. I like Ironside. And he, he said, he, he said the director just didn't know what he was doing. The project fell apart because the director had no fucking clue. And he said, you know, he said, with Conner having Connery on set for two weeks, and that's what you make, got him to do. He said, he's criminal. He's one of the, you know, they talked about The Rock and obviously getting to work with him a second time. Oh, so. I forgot. Genuinely, I know that sounds really stupid. I was thinking that's the only time. I got to work with him twice, though. That's pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, and I will say this now, at some point, back on film with with the fact that it's um, James Bond week, at one point we will talk about how The Rock is a Bond movie, because that is clearly James Bond. Yeah, um, yeah it was That's awesome. Amazing. But do you know what? The guy is like old school. So he is inspired and comes off the back of like a golden age of cinema. And he, he he's an actor that transfers and still has a lot of that discipline. Uh, you know, spending about four hours in a room with him yesterday, you know, he, he comes across as a bloke who just doesn't take shit, like just doesn't want to fanny about, doesn't want to, um, you know, he's there to do a job. He's there to get paid to do something and he brings, uh, you know, an intensity to it. You can you get that from him talking. It's really weird. I can't explain it. I've never really met anyone that famous or spent that much time with someone famous who I've seen like loads throughout my like time on this planet. Yeah. And then the way he talks, I'm like, this is exactly how John C. McGinley would talk. Oh, that sounds brilliant, mate. Yeah. It's one was, of those rare circumstances where it was, it was fun to meet him. Because a lot of people were like, oh, what's it like on the set of Scrubs? He's like, I was in my dressing room learning my lines. Because the way you shoot a TV series, you get the script like the day before or they'll rewrite on the day. And he's like, and I had these giant monologues of insults. He did, didn't and, he? Yeah. And he's yeah. like, I couldn't piss about and be, you know, doing what... Uh, Donald Faison and, and Zach Braff were doing and the other guys were doing, you know, and, and you know, and he, he was like, I was the older guy. Um, and he said, I had l- lines and lines of dialogue. And he, he kept saying this thing, he says, in, in soaps and TV, if you don't learn your lines, because they have to shoot on a, on a timeline. Yeah. And he was saying, if you don't learn your lines, what they'll do is they will get you, get the actor to read the lines off camera and film a person's reaction. Yeah. And so he would openly say to colleagues and people like that and guests, he said the amount of guests that they had on that show, which Scrubs was famous for, that would come on, not learn their lines. He would say to him, good, c- continue behaving that way because while you're, you, while you're not delivering those lines, the I've camera will be on me. Yeah. And he was fascinating to listen to. He talks about obviously Platoon, talks about like Oliver Stone, talks about I going to the Philippines. That. Yeah. yeah, really, really cool bloke. And uh, yeah, just got to take a couple of photos with him and that. I think that's really cool as well. You mentioned Platoon. There's so many big names in that. Like the whole film is about William Defoe and Tom Berenger fighting for like Charlie Sheen's soul. And he in it plays such like a spineless cock who ends up getting like promoted at the end of the film because mm. everyone else is dead. Like he pretends to be shot. You know, he hides it under bodies. He was like such a perfect coward as well. He's actually quite very chameleon-esque. You know, he does comedy quite well, but at the same time can play like a sniveling coward. You know, mm. John C. McGinley is one of those people that like... Um, Xander Berkeley, they do mm. so much but get so little. It's like the curse of being the good support role. And you just summed it up perfectly. Xander Berkeley is another example. I would much rather meet people like that oh, yeah. than, you know, your Tom Cruises and your Johnny Depps and your... I, I feel something fascinating. I imagine John C. McGillan is the same. It's like Xander Berkeley with all these people asking questions about 24 or Gattaca, you know, those sort of things. I would just be asking about his makeup work. You'd just be mm. like, how's he into it? You know, it's like... You know, like, how was it fun to do your own makeup when you were like, oh, I'm dying of radiation poisoning season two? I'd be more fascinated by that. And just like, how do you, 
as an actor who's not an A-lister, how do you like subvert Hollywood? How do you mm. get into things? I just think I, I'm one with you. You'd be listening to like Tom Cruise talk about fucking awesome ears, or just listening to someone who's had to. I know that this sounds horrible, like kind of graft. Mm. Yeah, yeah. He he he's a grafter. He's, he's that old school. Learn your lines. He's talking about like the people he's worked with. Talking about the Broadway stuff he's done. Um, and he's he was really good that when he's answering questions on stage. So those that didn't meet him in like smaller groups, like the stage stuff. He would answer and then go beyond. It wasn't just like, oh, yes. hi, John, what's your favourite episode? You know, and he's like, oh, this one. You know, he would he would talk around it. He's very, very comfortable, like, talking. And I suppose that's his job to perform. But, you know, the moment he come out, you're like, oh, my God, there's Dr. Cox. Like, And he is, he is that, He's you know, he's a guy 62, but fucking hell, he's still a presence. Like, tall, broad, muscular bloke that, you know, that you see in that character. Like, there's a moment where he kind of did this thing where he was saying that in Scrubs, like, uh, no one would really mess with him because he he's his biggest critic. So if he fluffed a line, he would just go again. Like he would just shout yeah. it out loud, and um, and he was doing that on stage. You know, like imitating, like going wrong, and then and you're like, Christ! You would just let him get on with it. Like yeah. he is like, such a force to be reckoned with. But Come yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it just came about that a mutual friend of the show, Kareem, about two weeks ago, messaged me saying. John's beginning, he's doing this thing in Manchester. Do you want to go? And I was like, bullshit, is that real? But if it is, I'll go. Because it was the crappiest poster. Oh, you like, went to Manchester for Yeah. Jesus, yeah. Went man. up to Manchester and did the, uh, yeah. And which I'm, is weird because it's the first time I've been, uh, this, that was the other thing. I went to the Trafford Centre first for a quick back to eat. Yeah. Thousands of people. And you're like, oh, this is weird. Yeah. This is weird. Like, it's the first time I've been that out. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I kind of get that. I've spent a week, I spent a day in Sheffield, like walking around mm. the city centre. It was like, one, I don't do well in crowds anyway. <laughs> Just eight people. But no, it's weird and the world's reopened. Yeah. That's amazing. That's really cool. The um the Scrubs cast were fascinating. I know he's he's gone now, but Ted, the guy who played Ted, who's act whose name I can never remember, and that's Sam Lloyd. Sam Lloyd. He's he bought his brand over, didn't he, to do some some uh, concerts in Lincoln as well. That was really cool. Yeah, a cappella. So I really Cream, wanted to Sam, I really wanted to go to the Sam Lloyd show. Yeah, uh, Cream that I went with, he said that to Cox, like to Johnson McGinley when they're doing the Q and A bit. Yeah. Uh, he just said, "Oh, he just said, um, he's, he's, you know, because all these people would ask questions. They're all the things that you, you expect, like what's yeah. your favorite film you've been in, what's in this kind of thing. Who's an asshole? Yeah, <laughs> oh, mate, I've got a story about that actually. Um, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, my creamer was obviously with uh, put his hand up, got the microphone, and he was just like, I just want to say, um, flawless uh, Sam Lloyd in every scene he's in, and yeah. you know, and he said it's not a question, it's more of a again just appreciation. No, obviously he's no longer here, and and yeah, and John C. McGinnis was just like." Um, yeah, effortless. Like he's an improviser. Him and Neil Flynn, who played the janitor, the janitor. Yeah, he's just like those guys were improv guys. They didn't need scripts. They were just funny. <laughs> um, yeah, it was fucking fascinating. No, he talked. He talked about um, uh, Steven Seagal. Oh, brilliant! And he yes. was like biggest cock going. <laughs> yes. And everyone at this point, you go, it, it was like, oh fucking hell, let's go down this route. Like, let's just have an hour of him telling us who's cocks and stuff. Because <laughs> he was like, oh, so some people in Hollywood surprise you because they're really nice. He goes, and other people. He's like, they act really nice, but they're dickheads. And, and you can see he didn't want to do it. He went, all right, Steven Seagal. <laughs> and everyone was like, yes, this is. <laughs> and he, he, he's talking about this uh, this film that he did in, in the 90s where, um, where Warner Brothers let Seagal direct it. And um, Johnson McGinley plays the villain in it, or one of the villains in it. 
and his demise is his head gets put into a propeller of a plane. Yep. So that's how it all ends at this airport scene. And he sits like four in the morning. No one can stand to go. He's like this idiot. And um, and Johnson McGinn was like, fuck it, I'm not going anywhere near it. It's a propeller, you know, like and the, the, the guys were like, oh, Seagal wants you to like, you know, come within like two meters of it, you know? And he's like, no, you get the stunt guy to do that. I'm not going near the fucking propeller. And uh, and apparently he went off to his trailer and then there's this this knock and like Seagal comes in and he, he did this, this whole like, uh, hey, John, um, <laughs> you really, you really letting the team down and all this kind of, and then Johnson McGinn's like, I don't give a shit. Like, and, then, uh, and then his story is he goes, uh, he goes, he goes, John, do you love your father? And then, <laughs> then Johnson McGinn's like, what? And then he goes, well, I'm the director. So in this project, I'm, I'm your father. And he's like, fuck off. Apparently he, he, he was saying then he goes, he just walked out of the set, fucked off, drove home. He's like, I've done all my scenes. Like leave him to it. And he says, I've still never seen that movie. <laughs> But all the other stuff, like, I really love this because I say this all the time. If you're an actor, I do not buy for a second this whole, oh, I don't watch the films I'm in. I couldn't. I'll just criticize my performance. I, you know, mm. right. First off, dick. Yeah. Because once again, you are not the only person in that movie. I imagine you would want to go, or I would certainly want to watch the movie to see what everyone else did. The directors did, the visual effects, you know, and give them th- praise and credit. I think you'd want to see it as well because in a film, you're not always in every scene. You'd want to see yeah. what the, you'd want to see, so why was I chasing that green thing? And you'd want to know, yeah, you'd want to know, will I work with that director again? Will I work with them writers again? You know, because I want to see the finished article. So particularly now in the world of like superhero movies where it's so green screeny and, you know, you look at someone like Robert Downey Jr., you would want to watch because some people have made you amazing. I'm not yeah. saying Robert Downey Jr. isn't good, but he's got a lot of people helping him look like Iron Man. And I suppose it's like, I wouldn't go on a talk show and then be like, oh, I don't watch the movies. What a fucking insult to all them people. Who have put in their work, yeah. And I've always said that. And um, and I've always felt that. And also, like, in your job, my job, when people work, you have to, like, do one of those, you know, performance things. Like, yeah. you want to, you know, Alan Sandler deserves to see what he's done. Because <laughs> we have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, you know, so I've always had that. And one of the refreshing things with him was every movie someone talks about, they were like, um, you know, when someone would say something like, oh, yeah, you know, Identity or whatever, he's like, great movie, loved it. You know, or like Article 99, he's like, 100 minutes, great. Last 20 minutes, director fell apart, didn't know what he was doing. He was just really fucking open book. Yeah, fair enough. Sounds cool. Yeah. Sounds very good. John C. McGinley. Now, I'm conscious that last time, uh, going back to the Gerald Butler episode, and it took us, that's always go to. Because it took us too long to get to Gerald Butler, and people that downloaded the episode to listen about Gerald Butler wrote us nasty emails, James. And so I'm scared. And I know that this isn't about Gerald Butler, it's about Daniel Craig, James Bond. James Bond. Just one. talk to me about Bond. So Bond was done, mate. The, the people were asking. The people said James Bond couldn't exist in a post-Cold War era. So he tried it with Pierce Brosnan. Well, actually, technically, if you want to talk about the Craig, the Craig David, the James <laughs> Bond we got, we got the Daniel Craig version. In your face, real, raw. There was three things that precipitated the Bond that we have watched in the big screen for the past 20 years. Timothy Dalton. So Timothy Dalton, they tried an edgy one. His last film, he did two, was a, he went up against a drug lord, Vicious Mean. It's not about taking over the world, it's about drugs, realism, drowning. Pierce Brosnan, Goldeneye, taking it to a world of IT, trying to ground it in a reality of, you know, against... It wasn't the Russians, it wasn't Spectre, it wasn't like one man on the line. They were trying to realism. And the biggest thing that gave birth to the modern Bond, the Bourne franchise. Because yeah. no longer could James Bond be campy, sassy, knock out people with one punch. The Jason Bourne franchise had showed us that spy dramas, action were close quarters, combat, brutal, visceral. And that's what we got with James Bond. So we moved from this heavy drinking, suave mother flipper 
trying to swear mm. less. <laughs> Mother flipper. He, you know, drinking martinis, then going for dessert at a hotel with the villain, and the villain tells him the plan. Now we were going to late nights, boozing, not in a sexy way, mate. We're mm. talking heavy booze because he could, he's trying to deal with the world he lives in. Grotesque, rude, visceral, down to earth, dog trodden. Daniel Craig. I, I, it's a great move. Great move. I mean, I like I say at the top of the episode, I grew up with Bond. 2006, Daniel Craig coming into the um, in, into the spotlight. Wasn't wanted as well. A lot of people didn't want him. The press, the press get very on the backs of James Bond and they didn't want Daniel Craig. And I'm going to be honest here, I didn't want Daniel Craig. I didn't know a lot of his work. I mean, so for anyone who doesn't know Daniel Craig's history, Daniel Craig, as James has already said, Connery, Moore, Dalton, Lazenby, Brosnan, um, Niven as well. David, isn't David Niven who did the Casino, Casino Royale? Royale? Which I always thought was a comedy and it isn't. Yeah, and that's in the mix of the Connery ones. It's like oh, I seven, thought it was like the first, but I, no, I think it's, it's not a film I've ever actually Connery seen. Connery started in 62 and I think he did his in 67. Oh, forever. And then Connery came back, didn't he, to do a few. Oh, was he? That's one of those weird, because it's weird because also Brosnan, the rights to Thunderball were given Never Say Never Again, which is technically a Bond film, but they don't use the word Spectre because they're allowed to use a storyline, but not specific things. So that's the one where uh, Sean Connery comes back and plays like an aged Bond. It's oh, not, that was it, yeah. It's not actually part of the Bond continuity because I believe at the, more, at the time it was Roger Moore's run. It was, yeah, yeah. And they just brought it back as like a standalone. Uh, but that now is canon. Oh, okay, not canon, but it's, it's one part of, those, of the 25, oh, It's one of those things, mate. Like, Jesus. Um, Daniel Craig was born on the 2nd of March, 1968, an uh, English actor born in Chester, Starting his acting career in 1992. This would include working on Sharps Eagle, one of my favourite Sharps. Oh, he's a good Sharp. He's a cock. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, Road to Petition, Lair Cake and Munich. They were the movies on the lead up to Becoming Bond. I think the film Munich's the one they got him. Because he was... Oh, he, yeah. Munich was... I mean, Munich was a Ford Tour de It turned Eric Banner into... I didn't really like Eric Banner until I saw Munich. And I was like, man, that shit can shred. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was, I watched that not long back when we did the Spielberg, this so actually it probably was about a year ago, but it's dark, man. That, I it mean, I know dark. it's real events and everything, but it's, um, it, it's, it's, t- it's a tough watch. It is a tough watch. Daniel Craig's in it, it's like the secondary, he's kind of, at times he's kind of slippery, mm. like a bit slimy, and other times he's a killer. Um, James Bond, on the, hand, on the other hand, 007 was created by Ian Fleming in 1953, an MI6 agent with a license to kill known for taking on the world's most super villains hellbent on chaos and destruction first portrayed as we've already said by Sean Connery in Dr. No in 1962 and to date there have been 26 Bond movies I believe or something like that yeah because I, I never knew 25 which was a fucking I, I can't remember. I thought 25. I don't know. It's one of those things that I don't really mind. I never know because I list, I was in my head I, I did an exercise earlier I was trying to list them all. And, oh, I can't um, do that. Yeah I got, I got what did I get to like in mid 20s and and I had to Google it, and I think it was His Majesty's Secret, Her Majesty's Service was the one I couldn't remember. But, uh, right. but then, even then, I was like, "Fuck it, twenty-five to He's something around there, you yeah. know. I know Bond twenty, twenty-five, whatever. But I always um, forget the Pierce Brosnan that twenty. I think that was twenty-five. Is Pierce Brosnan's last one was the twenty-fifth one because I remember it being a big deal and they did lots of nods mm. to early ones. And I always forgot the name of that because it's so shit. I've tried to purge it from my memory. <laughs> Known for villains and henchmen, gadgets, soundtracks, cars, exotic locations, spy wizardry, action and stunts, beautiful women, product placement, puns, and lovely secondary, lovely, lovable secondary characters, such as Q. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bond is one of cinema's greatest assets, one of Britain's biggest exports. Of the films that started franchises, you yeah. know. 
Um, made careers. And it's accessible for all ages. This is the good thing about Bond is it's like my dad once tried to explain the Beatles to me and the hysteria around the Beatles because not growing up in the Beatles era, I'd appreciate the music and everything, but I was like, what, what was it? Constant the mania. And he was like, it's because kids, parents, and grandparents all loved it. And I, that's true for Bond, I reckon. I think everyone. You can watch Bond. Life Bond, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know the the you know my grandparents will go watch the Bond movies because they've seen him since the sixties. You know, um, before we go into each movie and digest them, break them down, look at the storylines and everything. What's your favorite Daniel Craig movie? Now I listed some, but since Bond, he's obviously done Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, The Tintin, Cowboys and Aliens, Logan Lucky, Knives Out, The Jacket, or Jacket was before I think Golden Compass. I'm gonna stick with. Well, I, obviously he's not the main part in the Munich, but I do remember the first time watching Munich being blown away by the whole film. So I think that's probably his best film, his best performance. I would probably say it's a Bond film. Yeah, I think best performance is Bond. I think my favourite film he's been in is Knives Out. Do you know what? I'm going to change my mind to Knives Out because how can you not? He's such a great role and yeah. he's, he's really good in it. Do you know what, mate? You've done that thing where you... I didn't even need a gent. I didn't even need a big push. That was a gentle push, mate. Definitely knives out. He's so brilliant. He, mate, he puts on an accent for no real reason. No real reason. No and apparently, reason. the accent's completely different in knives out too. Yes, I've heard that as well. Um, and uh, one thing I like about Daniel Craig, do you know his favorite actor is? Oh, Who he said he's the best actor? Harrison Ford. Michael Shannon. Voice <gasps> said that about Daniel Craig. Very smart man. Very, very smart logical. Man. You know. Oh no, because now I've just oh disappointed fantasy booking, mate. Michael Shannon as the villain. <sighs> Could just have a Knives Out kind of reunion in a Bond thing. Yeah. We've obviously had Anna de Armas with the latest movie played. Uh, yeah. Um, I'll come to that. <laughs> yeah, <there you> <laughs> um, so favourite Daniel Craig Bond movie? The, do you know what? As, as, as the way of the podcast is, when we split something up, you get two of the best ones. And do you know what? It's a toss up between Skyfall and Casino Royale because, because when we get into it, Casino Royale did so much more but Skyfall, Skyfall, do you remember when Skyfall came out? They were talking about it being a Best Picture nominee. And yeah. I, and I've, I fucking, do you know what? I'm going to go Skyfall. I think Skyfall, Skyfall, yeah. The Sam Mendes movie. It's watching, rewatching this week, Casino Royale doesn't age as well as Skyfall. Skyfall still holds up as like a brilliant movie. Like really, really good movie. 2012 or whenever that movie came out. Um, Cool. The, so uh, should we start Casino Royale? Should we oh, go let's there? start. Let's start. Let's start with it. Mate, do you remember the time? I remember this film. No one was that excited for it, but that started building up. And I remember the biggest change. So I have read Casino Royale, the book. So I own all of them. I own all of the books, but weirdly after the first two, I dropped off. Because the one thing we've got to remember as well, Ian Fleming, who wrote the character of James Bond, I one, he made outrageous accusations, but he was also famous for failing the secret agent a, a, like exam, if you will. He's famous for being a failed secret agent. So everything he wrote was basically <laughs> horse piss. He just made up. But you know what? There's nothing wrong with that because wizards aren't real. And you know... Harry Potter franchise was brilliant. So just because, just because you Wait, failed. Wait, hold on, hold on. What? <laughs> what? I'm sorry, mate. Anyway, so this was different, mate. You know, Pierce Brosnan basically, and I don't blame Pierce Brosnan, but Pierce Brosnan had fucking buried this franchise deep. And most importantly, they'd started off and they'd gone like Batman. They'd, you know, they had a dark character and they camped it up. And when you look at Goldeneye and how it started, it started, it's like dark, but then by the end of it, it's fucking terrible. So Casino Royale, mate, was was like new era. People weren't ready for Camp Bond. They wanted something different. What did they get? This. I I remember I remember this movie coming out and there was all the, the hysteria around who was going to play Bond and Ewan McGregor and Clive Owen, I remember being the kind of two I forerunners. I remember Clive Owen being a big one. 
I think Clive Owen even said after this movie, like, no, he's the guy. Like, he, he got it right. And I think all the Bonds, you know, Connery, uh, Brosnan, Lazenby, all said Daniel Craig is the guy after <laughs> Casino Royale. Well, I remember as well, I'm sure it was the son. The sons that only care about, you know, immigrants and who plays Bond. Because I'm sure they had a massive dig because Connery was Scottish. Um, Lazenby was Scottish. Pierce Brosnan was Irish. Uh, Irish Canadian. Was it Welsh or something? It was Irish. Irish, Irish Canadian, Canadian. Yeah. Um, and the only one that was English was Roger Moore. And they fucking hate Roger Moore. They're like, oh, another Roger Moore. <laughs> Just went, wow. You know, he's a pretty secret agent, right? Roger Moore's the ones that I'm scared most to go back to every visit. The best thing to remember, though, is he always had the best storylines. Moonraker. Mate, is you what? I don't even think that's the worst Bond film. <laughs> so you can choose the one I liked as a kid. You can then. throw Moonraker at me, mate, but that's worse. So, so Casino Royale came out in 2006. It was the 21st Bond movie. Daniel Craig, obviously, we talked about. Um, Judy Dench, Eva Green, but in interviews I've heard, Evergreen. Evergreen. So take it as you want. Uh, Mads Mickelson, Jeffrey Wright, stellar cast already. Soundtrack by Chris Cornell, mate. Mate, I'm, I'm, in there. I'm glad you mentioned that because you, you, you explained this to me about the Bond tone. Mm. And I think as a film opening up, this was brilliant. I, I, you know, this film got me. I went to go mm. see this with Ryan, who's a mutual friend. You know, Ryan, he's really big into music. He was explaining to me like the history of, a comp- who did you say wrote it? Uh, this is Chris Cornell. Chris Cornell, he's got a big career, isn't he? He's worked with some like really good people. And well, he's stuff in like the band Soundgarden. He oh, tragically uh, died a few years back. Oh, that's sad. But but this song, this song, is a very it's the best good. Bomber song. And I've got, and mate, oh, I'm, go, I'm going against all the classics as well. I've, really? Yeah. I mean, oh, you, mate, mate, I am. I am. This is my favorite Bond song. Do you know what? That's really cool. Opening up. I, I was going to say it's a very good one. I didn't know. It was yeah. The, oh, mate, mate, I'd, I'd already like starting strong then. Uh, so from obtaining these double O status in Prague to shady villains in Uganda to chasing down parkour bombers in Madagascar, <gasps> it, it, it's, it's firmly mid 2000s, isn't it's it? It's firmly. Do you know what? Do you know really good as you're watching it, especially this beginning bit. It opens up as black and white. And he, you know, he's talking to this guy and he's like, oh, not that much in trouble. And he's like, oh no, you are. Cause I've actually already killed a bloke. But it's actually, it's, it's really dark, isn't it? It's black and white. It's really cool. And it's Cold War style. It's, you could see this being then. Yeah. And you were like, oh, this is cool. This is different. And then he explains how he killed the first guy. And that's quite in a bathroom. I'm sure he's, one of them's wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. Very <laughs> messy fight. Not a, uh, not, not the bond that we're used to. That, you Brutal. Know, with, with a silencer or, or gadgets and gizmos. Being. Rough and ready, you know, hand-to-hand combat, smashing sinks over people. So as it goes, it's, it's such a great start. And then they do the, um, and then they do the classic, you know, the song and, and they, they do the weird, you've got to have a weird credit scene, mate. Yeah. And I still think that holds up killing people with diamonds from playing cards. I, I quite, I love that shit, mate. I think, I think if you are a designer, I think there's three best things. Who gets to play Bond? Who's doing the song? Because song, I don't care about music, but Bond songs, mate, I get heavily invested in. And they win Academy Awards, these songs Yeah, exactly. It's so cool. But my third one is, can you imagine being the art director and going, right, you've got a Bond sequence. Mm. You'd be like, right, get me my fucking oils because I'm going to create something. Yeah, and it's not... Quick, like these long sequences. I can't think of a TV, uh, a film, film franchise that lets you have credits now. Mm. Normally, it's like in the bottom left corner, go like Michael Shannon in the Drowning. Yeah, who <laughs> just come up with Drowning, Michael Shannon, that'd be it. But it's brilliant. But then, but then you're thinking, oh, when could it be? Well, we're gonna flip you firm in the mid noughties because we're gonna have some fucking parkour <laughs> that hasn't been relevant since. <laughs> yeah, this film. This is what I mean by not aging well. Like the moment this film starts, you're like, hello, 2000s. Like when parkour was big. I mean, I like what they do with it. They do this whole like, you know, the the, the bombers running away, you know, using 
land as his, you know, the terrain as his kind of obstacle and course. Cool. And, and do you know what? It was different. And I couldn't do that, James. So, you know, hats <laughs> off to him. I, I like Bond, though, chasing after him, taking, running around things, running through walls. There's one scene where he literally runs through a plaster wall. And he's lucky there was plaster. <laughs> I know, it was brick. It would have just ended there, Finn. But, like, because this Bond, this Daniel Craig Bond, is a wrecking ball. And yeah. that's what I really like. Judy Dench even says it in like the next scene after all of this. She's like, you, you're promoted too early. You're not ready. You know, you are a bloody, uh, you know, you, you're a killer. You're violent. You're, yeah. you're aggressive. The blunt instrument. When blunt instrument. Incision and he's- yeah. And, and that's cool. That's like going against the, the style and the, the you know, what we're used to with Bond. Uh, yeah, no, completely. Agree. And it was so different, but so I'm not, so all Bonds are set differently. You know, every time you get a new Bond, it's a new continuation. But I do like the fact they kept Judy Dench on because she grounded the series in a sort of it let the audience play. And I, and I think Judy Dench is probably the best M for if you look through them all, you know, from the cantankerous white men from yesteryear. I always thought Judy Dench always brought a panache to the point that later on, when she actually gets a storyline, she fucking runs with it, mate. And it's such good fun. She's she's the paternal figure to Bond, which is wicked, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And you're right, carried over from the Pierce Brosnan ads did Martin Campbell, who directed Goldeneye, directed this movie. Yeah. Also directed Green Lantern, but everyone's got a death note. Everyone has got a death note. In this case, you've got a Green Lantern. No one survives Green Lantern. The other good thing about this movie is Mads Mikkelsen in his first English-speaking role as the chief, the villain, the main villain in the movie, other than Mr. White, but we'll get to him in a moment. The chief is one of my favourite villains because because his villainy is money and he's good math. He's good at math. Yeah, opens up. He's just he's you know he's taking money from trouble. And what he does as well is is dickish to a point that he gambles with other people's money for his own personal gain. So he's not interested. He's not invested. He uses this as as money for his own pleasure. So he'll take terrorist money, play play poker with it to get his to increase his own funds. And you know what? That's that's next level dickish. It's so good. It's really good to have a villain that doesn't actually care about the fate of the world. It's just like, I want to make some money. And it is a good, it is a good storyline. I mean, later on in, in this run, we'll get to like the fact that he's an agent of Spectre or we'll get all to that stuff. But you're completely right. I mean, the chief is a mathematical genius. He's an Albanian private banker who works with terrorists. But like, not, I, I, yeah. I, I don't know if, I don't think if in 2006... I probably went in and really got the dynamics of this character. You're completely right. You know, he we're introduced to him. This mysterious character called Mister White introduces him to this Ugandan kind of general at the of the LRA who loans him, a, you know, a hundred million dollars that he then immediately backs or he, he backs against a Skyfleet company. So the idea is that he gambles with them money to create more money. So he creates terrorist incidents, and this carries on throughout. He creates terrorist incidents so he can make money off them, which yeah. is like a really at the time of the financial crisis when people did actually get rich from uh, people short in the housing market. So it's just, it's such like, it's brilliant writing, it's yeah. dickish moves. And it's quite unlike Bond, but at the same time, it's very like Bond because the uh, first book that I've read, Cassini is about someone trying to bankrupt trade unions so the Communist Party can't get funded. So, so it is kind of similar, but obviously they've changed it because this isn't the fucking 40s anymore. No. So, but that, you know, and, and then obviously when James uh, Bond spoils them plans, you know, where, where he uh, defeats the terrorists, they're about to blow up this prototype uh, Skyfleet plane that's being unveiled, at, you know, with a Richard Branston cameo, which yep. never ages well. Hey, my boss. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> and... Uh, and then the chief is, you know, he's, he's lost this money that he's uh, that he's got off this Ugandan kind of warlord, and then he hosts a 
10 million dollar buy-in poker game to win and recoup that money back which million, it's 10 million dollars per person oh, 10 yeah, players 100 million right, yeah um but the to, oh sorry sorry to which to which point bond isn't it because he's mr6's best poker best, player which is a great bond storyline that's really good it's really good because it allows you to introduce characters ever eva grain she's from the treasury so she's not Hiring officials, she's there for the money. You know, it's her decision if if Bond's pissing the money away, she can pull the plug like a different auteur. You're bringing the character of Mattis, who's new as far as I'm aware. I don't remember him from the books. It's been a while since I read them. But this great character, uh, is it, it's Mattis, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. He's really good as like the groundman. Like he knows the players and it's his job to explain what's happening mm. because you Bond can't because he's at the table playing. So when he's playing, he's talking to Ava Green and he's like, all Royal Flush beats are straight. So you've basically got the rules of poker being explained by Mattis in a great scene because it just cuts to him. And it's all of these scenes interacting. But also there's a great bit, and there's two bits I really want to bring up, only because I don't want to scooch past them, and they're my favourite things about Bond, is if you look back on the history of James Bond's character in film and in book, he'll sleep with women because he's suave and he loves he loves, he loves loves having sex. In this film and going forward, he doesn't sleep with women for that. He, he sleeps with women, he sleeps with a woman in this to get information. As soon as he's got the information from her, he pies her off and she ends up dead, but he's callous. He doesn't care. He's like, I got what I wanted from her. So we've kind of got rid of the suave, not suave, but you know, oh, I'm going to have sex with Terry Hatcher and tomorrow never, uh, tomorrow never dies. Whereas now it, there's a purpose to it. It's actually secret agent. He's like, I need information from you. As soon as he gets from her, he leaves. She dies, but he doesn't care. So he's kind of heartless. I really quite like that. You got to choose story. Yeah, first, I was going to say you got to choose your words carefully there because no. that's still that's probably the bit of Bond that doesn't age too well. I know that. Oh no, that's what I mean. But what I'm saying is, there's a reason for it now. Not if you look at the older films, he's just like oh, a just, womanizer yeah. for no reason. Yeah. Whereas there's a reason for him to be suave in this one. Does that make sense? Yeah, because I, I think, I think the, 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 the particularly the Connery ones is you know very chauvinistic. Yeah. And, you know, male. Oh no, that like, he would literally just it quite quite. Forceful on women. I always thought Roger Moore was quite bad as well. Just like, no, but what I meant was, and I, so just let me reiterate, was there's a reason why he's suave and seduces women in this because it's not because he wants to, it's because he needs information. And afterwards he's like, no, you're, I'm done with you now. So the, he's a heartless romantic because he's like, mm. so, so when he meets that character again and she's dead, M just asks him, go, no, your problem is you don't feel anything. And he's like, yep, what's next? He's like, and he's, he's witnessed this woman that he was, he was seducing the night before he's dead. He doesn't care. Again, because there's a purpose to it. Yeah, I, see, I, when I watched that scene, I didn't know whether he did care, but he just didn't want to show any emotions in front of his boss. But then again, maybe he does, and that's a question you can ask. It's great, but at the same time, is he doesn't, you know, Pierce Bosnan, Roger Moore would have slept with that woman mm. after the information because it's like, oh, it's the 60s, and, you know, they treat women like objects. Where in this one, he's like, I don't need you anymore. I'm a secret agent. I'm not here for... And that's really cool. And then the second part is that he tells, when they get when they get to the hotel, he tells them the real name. They've invented this cover story and he tells them the real name because it shows how desperately, desperately Sh uh, Sharif, the Sharif the needs Sheep, the money. Yeah. Because he's like, he tells them he's like government. He's like, that's how badly he needs money. He'll play the government. He knows what it's up to. And basically, the Sharif, uh, playing for his life. If he doesn't win this tournament, the terrorist groups will get him, which is why the CIA is there, which is why Bond's there, because they're all trying to bankrupt him so that he has no choice but to basically sell people out. And that's brilliant. Yeah, I like that. I like that idea that, Jeffrey Wright's there around the table as well. Holy shit. I just, yeah. There's got to be some better players. Get, what I don't understand is why don't you just hire professional poker players? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand. I was like, just just say it's for your country, you movie. dickhead. <laughs> movie. I, yeah, I, I, I love the best scenes in this movie are the poker table scenes. Yes. In Monte Carlo at the Casino Royale. There's getting away from the table to fight, you know, the Ugandan like warlords. <laughs> 
having uh, been poisoned and, and having to use a defibrillator in the in the Aston Martin, mm. all those bits. You get classic Bond in the locations. You get classic Bond with the gadgets and the gizmos. You get classic Bond with names like, you know, Evergreen's character is called Vesper. You know, yeah. it's great. It's just rich with enough of the, like, Bond we know but still being, but this is the bond you don't know. And this is, this yeah. is a different way of storytelling. And so Casino Royale is to me is, is a brilliant, it's still good. It doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't age too well with the parkour scenes, but all that airport scene stuff and all the stuff in Monte Carlo with the, um, with the, with the gambling. And then what happens afterwards, you know, we, we said we we're going to talk about these movies in detail. The torture scene, I was going to say, I love the poker scenes, but they are second to the bit where your two biggest draws, Mad Mickels, Mads Mickelson and Chris, uh, fuck, Christian Bell, sorry, uh, Craig, fucking Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig, who are the episodes on, James? <laughs> yeah, they have, they just play off each other. And mm. there's a great scene where Bond gets to be like, so Bond, like the only time we'd ever seen a Bond be tortured was Pierce Brosnan. And we were kind of being tortured during that film as well. So they doesn't get clipped. <laughs> but this one, it's like the humour is like, the whole world's, you're going to, the whole world's going to know you die scratching my balls that's such an unbond thing to say, but at the same time, is a is this generation's bond thing to say. Yeah. It's really good. And Mads Mixon plays off well with that. And they look sweaty, it looks horrible, it looks drawn out. The torture isn't an elaborate machine, it's a bit of rope and he's beating it. It's also not the easiest way. It's not it's, it's, not, it's, it's easier. There, ways, there are easier ways to kick someone in the nads, let's be <laughs> yeah. honest. And like that whole sequence though is is back to again historic bond. You've got you, you think back to Sean Connery and the you know the iconic scenes of you know the laser beam traveling yeah. in between his legs and you're like oh my god it's going to take out James Bond's most deadliest weapon <laughs> his penis <laughs> you know it's like so it's got all of that stuff it's like it's what you know but it's the 2000s way of telling it um, mm. when I rewatched it this week I, like I said I thought it was a brilliant movie it's my second favorite out of the Daniel Craig movies um, Bond incarnations I think do you know what its place as well is is very highly because again we cannot stress how much it changed a Bond formula. It was so different. It was Bond for the 21st century. It was it was a new Bond. Mm. Like like Roger Moore won't doing this. You know, like I'm just thinking classic Bonds. It was so different and it was brilliant. And I do you know what? I think you have to give it props, hold it up at Casino Royale, got people back into a franchise that a lot of people had lost open. So talking to Quantum Solace then. <laughs> well, is is the weak link. Right. So you've got to remember as well that like Quantum of Solace has the unfortunate unfortunate historical being of being between Casino Royale and Skyfall. Two kind of mastering films. But when it came out, it was, it was, critics said it's too confusing. Fans didn't really kind of get into it. The, the Quantum of Solace name is just was enough, well. you know, and, and I think if you, in the Fleming books, he uses the term Quantum of Solace, I believe in one of them, to describe the feeling when the honeymoon period in a relationship is over. But that's perfect. And that's, that's a perfect note for this film. It's like, oh, you, you really like Casino Royale. Well, yeah. well, the honeymoon period's well, over. Just because of the continuity of the storyline, which is going to come back. We talked about Mr. White. Remember him because he's going to come back in not only this movie, but in the last movie. And also Evergreen uh, as Vesper. The, you know, that was the other thing with Bond. He fell in love at the end. He did fall in love at the end. And also, weirdly, we had a continuation, but not part one and part two. We had a continuation of a continuous storyline, a serial, mm. if you will, which is different. They, think of it like an episode of X-Files. Usually Bond films were standalone. Yeah. Monsters of the Week's episode. And you, you occasionally got the conspiracy. Well, this is the conspiracy, mate. Are you ready? Quantum of Solace. Taking place immediately after the ending of Casino Royale, Bond is being chased by a series of villains while the mysterious Mr. White is trapped in the boot of Bond's Aston Martin. 
So immediately, so the last film ends. It also whelms with the class, uh, the classic line of Bond, James Bond. You know, it's got, it's there. Drags and puts them in the boot, car chase. So it starts off with this action quite early. This is also, I should tell you now, this has got the highest death rate, but it's also the shortest runtime of all the Bond films. So it's like he's killing someone every three minutes. <laughs> no, I, know I don't think he's that close, but he, he, this is it. Um, he delivers Mr. White to M. They soon realise that the mysterious organisation Quantum has agents everywhere, even in MI6. Shy surprise, one of the agents at the safe house turns on the others and rescues Mr. White. Now, what I do like about this is Mr. White gives a speech about how he's really worried that MI6 are breathing down the neck. You know, they could show up at any time. His whole organisation is terrified and they don't even know they exist. That's pretty cool. Mm. I quite like that soliloquy. Bond and M are able to decipher enough to know that an environmentalist entrepreneur called Dominic Green is planning to kill his lover Camille while helping exiled Bolivian general Mandarario. It's like, uh, hold on, are you slightly European and interested in money? Villain. Villain. <laughs> You're not Maz Mikkelsen villain because you don't have a scar. You don't weep blood. You don't weep blood, which was um, which was cool, but in, in hindsight, I wish they'd done that more. He only does it a few times. And Bond, in because he realized the word, he's like, oh, did it cause you to perspire our last game after he's had to kill someone? And he's just like, well, at least I don't weep blood. He's like, not your best comeback, Bond. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not your best. No, and then, then afterwards when he gets poisoned and defibs himself. Yeah, he's like, and he comes back and goes, oh, that last hand nearly killed me. <laughs> Fuck it. At that point, if I was the chief, I would have gone, ha! <laughs> <laughs> but, do you know if you were like, if you were there, just you you were just playing that game. Yeah, you'd you like, weren't with any is, government. What is going on? You'd be like, fucking hell, them two are like eyeballing each other, are they? Like, and doesn't he look like a villain? <laughs> <laughs> he was completely black suit and a scar over his eye and he's weeping blood. Yeah. And the fact that he doesn't smile ever. God, what a villain. <laughs> anyway, fold. <laughs> I still think at the end it'd be great if, someone, if one of the other players won. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, I'll see you later. <laughs> um, right. Well, it turns out Madaro killed Camille's parents and she's been sleeping with Green in order to get close to the general so she can enact her revenge. I'm asking, so what does Green get by helping the general? Well, in return for destabilising the government and turning the chief of police uh, onto the general side, um, the general will allow Green to buy a patch of desert that will be completely Green's to control and they won't be able to do anything about it. So I bet you're asking, why don't the US government get involved and stop the coup? Well, they just they just want a percentage of the oil because Green's they think Green's discovered oil and they want a bit. Of course they do. Um, of course they do. We'll start a war over that, James. Yeah, it is. Um, so Jeffrey writes back in and says Felix Leiter, but also joined... By Harbour, David Harbour. David Harbour, who I forgot was in this. I forgot he was in this until I was watching. Oh no, I saw his name in the credits. I was like, is he? And then he's got a thick, glorious moustache. He's playing Felix Leiter's boss. And you've, you've got Gemma Arston in this as Strawberry Fields. Yes, I, I have. I am going on to that, yeah. Amazing. They don't actually mention her first name though, Strawberry. Of course they They just call him as Fields. I'm like, yeah, if, if that's so important, why don't you just call her like Gemma or Denise? Yeah. <laughs> just something. Or just fucking don't give her a first name. I'll be honest, the 106 runtime of this film is just too short to cram in all this storyline. So going back a few weeks, the analogy is it's a sandwich filled with too much in it. It's collapsing. You cannot grasp it because every time you go to take a beat, another bit falls out. There's too much happening. You can't get on it. Bond. Well, it's nice to see James Bond on a kind of revenge mission. It's no longer against saving the world. He's basically trying to get to Vesper. Vesper's like, how did Vesper get caught up in this world where she betrayed him in Casino Royale, but she didn't betray him. She still loved him. And in the end, she sacrificed herself. So what's going to happen? She, he's on a vendetta. He's quite savage. However, what that lacks is there's no, there's no humor. There's mm. no, there's no, there's no good core points. We don't have the secondary characters such as Q that can add mirth to a storyline when it's so uh, dry as this. You are missing out. Uh, Camille, uh, she's played by Olga Karelanikov. 
And she's actually quite a good character. She's a Bond figure herself. She manipulates men a lot like uh, Bond would do to women. Uh, she's got great charisma. She can hold the screen. What weirdly, and what goes for her, she's not a storyline. Her and Bond don't sleep together. Yeah. But what really goes against her is that she has to share screen time with Bond, as in she's got her own storyline. If you actually got rid of Bond, you could still make this story. It's really weird when Bond is the secondary character in his own film. It feels Gemma Anderson character is kind of a callback to the yesteryear of Bond Girl. She's quite innocent. You know, she's there to stop Bond, but in reality she falls for his charms. But uh, she, uh, she can do stuff. You know, she, she gets stuff done. Um, it's great to see Mathis back. Uh, Rene Mathis back. Oh, no, this, time, this time they say he's... So they reverse the fact that the <clears throat> the believers working for the chief in the, yes in, so he gets in tortured out. yeah but then actually in this movie you're like oh no I didn't yeah he didn't I, I, was, I was actually innocent but he doesn't forgive Bond at the time so he's, he's fucking right on him but he does forgive him soon after <laughs> it only takes yeah. five minutes it's great to see him back now this is where I'm gonna the biggest letdown I Matau Amalric plays Dominic Green and I love a villain he. He plays him quite menacing, like he could lose at any minute. Like he's on the verge. There's a scene where he kind of like kicks a man to death. The only problem is at no point do you fear that he's going to win. At no point is he a challenge. No point is he a menacing screen presence. There's no way Dominic Green's character will take on Bond. It's just a matter of when he'll die. His plan is pathetic. The storyline's complicated. It turns out it's not oil, it's water. And the big plan is to basically... Um, get the general to sign over that he has to pay something like double the rates for water. Premium water, yeah. With, so, so, and it turns out that Dominic Green is a member of Quantum, which is a shadowy group that controlled, you know, they got Vesper involved. So it's basically, think of Spectre. Did you remember Spectre in the olden times? <laughs> well, Quantum is the modern version of that. Shadowy group up to no good. Storyline's dross. It's crap. Characters are awful. Bond broods, but in a, in a good way. There's no humour. The writing's quite, quite sore. There's a particularly bad action scene where in a plane without any missiles or stuff, he uses it in an attempt to force other fire jets down that are trying to kill him. It's like, a Bond's good, but it's not good. It's, it's, it rightly deserves its place as the worst Daniel Craig. Of these five, yeah. And to be honest, it's pretty weak for a Bond film. It's, the, the redeeming qualities of it aren't that redeemable. It's not Die Another Day, bad. No, Die Another Day might be, my, might be the worst Bond. I think that is the worst one. I mean, no. I'm going to have to rewatch all of them to make that, but I... That's the one with Halle Berry and... Uh, <coughs> Madonna. Every, yeah. Everyone's got Madonna. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, uh, so did you watch that this week? I watched that this week, yeah. Quantum, age, so age well? No, it, I remember watching it in cinema, being bored. I didn't get it in the cinema. I watched it this time. It's not good. And Alicia Keys and Jack White from mm. the... the White Even that Express. song's a fucking mash. And that mash song up, was it? terrible. I know a lot of people quite like it. I'm like, I don't know who you yeah. are. And I, when I find you, I'll hurt you. But all of it's kind of like moaning. Everything that was really good. I mean, starting off straight away with him with Mr. White was good. And there's a particularly great scene where Gemma Atherton's character gets killed and she gets drowned in oil. It's a nod to Goldfinger, you know, when he kills the character by... Dip, uh, she, she's gold. There's a really cool scene where Bond outruns the MI6 agents because he's in cuffs and he's been taken back because the government have done a deal with Green. They'll stop the investigation if they get some of that oil. That isn't there, remember? So, <laughs> so what I don't understand is it's when they discover there's no oil, when the Americans just go and like bomb the fuck out of it because they don't like to be made to look like mugs. It's um, it's not good. Everything's pretty lackluster. Uh, yeah, it's crap. I'm not going to go back to rewatch it, but I, I do. Won't. I do remember this one though. Bond looks ever ever so stylish in this one. Yeah, he because Daniel Craig pulls off a lot of the costumes. So the tuxedo is one thing. Yeah, it's like standards. Like you got to wear a tuxedo in a certain seat in in Bond films. But 
Daniel Craig looks cool as as Bond as well. You know, he's like the Land Rover driving. Um, you know, just his whole aspects, his whole outfits. He looks. I remember this one and looking at the stills of it. He he just looks badass in this movie. Mm. He he looks he looks like you'd imagine the character would look after the love of his life has just died. You know, yeah. he's got that look about him. He's like, I just don't fucking care anymore. Well, it, there is a really good scene. Um, there are good scenes when he's like, uh, well, spoilers, Mattis dies. And I've really pissed him off because his scene deserved better. But how Bond, Bond, like when he's dying, it's like, can you forgive me? And he's like, of course, if you've done nothing wrong. He's like, no, can you forgive her? It's like, it's all about Vesper. And he's he doesn't answer him. And then when he dies in his arms, Bond callously like froze the body in a uh, skip because he doesn't want anyone to find the body too soon. And then she says to him, why would you do it to your friend? He's like, he'd understand. I need to get out of here quick. You know, that sort of thing. But this callous Bond, because he's on a revenge mission, makes sense. It's really good. I just wish that all Bond is kind of recycled. Mattis, as far as I'm aware, was like an original character. I really liked him. I liked, I, I wish he hadn't been in this film and shown up mm. later. Yeah, I just think they popped their wad too soon, if you will. I think Mathis is in the literature and the earlier films, but yeah, he's two enough. characters. I read this earlier online that they've split... There's another character, something, Fair Mathis, enough. and they, they split the two characters. I should, yeah. have, I should have wrote down but who it was. But I really liked him. And I really liked... So the, but that's the standout scene in... I remember him in, crap. in Hannibal, like, getting his stomach caught and thrown out the window. He's yeah. the guy who tries grassing in. Yeah. Who blackmails him. Like, yeah. 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 Don't... Don't, don't, don't blackmail, blackmail a cannibal. <laughs> don't. Like, honestly, it's rule three in my rule book. <laughs> <laughs> Number two is don't tease him. Yeah. Number one, don't run for a bus. Uh, 2012 Skyfall. Mm-hmm. Probably the best one. Oh, definitely the best one. But one Huge of my, one campaign, this one. One of my favourite films of all, of of the Bond franchise. The, this one gave the idea that Bond was going to meet his end. Like yeah. the, the the big, I remember the, the, the adverts for this, the kind of promo looked like this villain was going to do it. And I, every film teases that. You've got the kind of, I suppose, the less threatening, campier villains. You've got, you know, the double R'd egg and chips, Mads Mikkelsen villains. Mm. This one, you know, Javier Bardem coming in the role. Do you know what? It, I was so excited when they, when it, there's something special about a, a Bond villain. And when you heard it was Javier Bardem, you fucking knew it was going to be special. Yeah. This one had that feel that he was, that he, you know, Bond was going to meet his end. And it, it had that big feel. It's Sam Mendes movie. Um, Daniel Craig, obviously. Albert Finney coming into this one. Ben uh, Wishaw as well coming into this as Q. As Q, which is a fucking phenomenal bit of a uh, Best thing. Q. I think John Cleese, unfortunately, didn't really pull it off for me. No, he didn't. But I, no, the Desmond, the one, the, yeah. he's the best. You can't, you can't, he's royalty, mate. Quartermaster Q. Um, Javi Bardem, Naomi Hammer, Harris, and Ralph Fiennes comes in, Ray Fiennes, sorry, comes into this one as well. Um... So the release coincided with Bond's 50th anniversary, was nominated for multiple awards, including the Academy and BAFTAs, broke a billion at the box office. I think at the time it was one of only 14 movies to ever have done that. was uh, praised by fans and critics alike, and at the time became the most successful Bond movie to date. And the fucking song was everywhere. You could not turn on the radio without hearing Adele yeah, which, banging out that tune. Yeah, and that did win the Oscar, didn't it? I'm pretty certain this one and Sam Smith's the following year, uh, the but, following film won the Oscars, didn't they? Yeah, I, I've got to say that I'm not a big Adele fan, but, and I love making up my own lyrics to Skyfall. <laughs> Skyfall, I slipped in the jungle. <laughs> I just, mate, I don't know the actual words. I'm so happy when I hear it, though, because I get to make up any fucking bullshit I want. <laughs> uh, so this is the third Daniel Craig movie, and it focuses on cyber terrorism and disgruntled ex-employees. Oh, shocking. 
The bond begins in Istanbul in a city where motorbikes can ride on rooftops and passenger trains also transport diggers and VW Beals. Yeah, they do. If Casino Royale had a good opening, I Skyfall was like, hold my beer. Yeah. It was just... It's, it's got that problem though. It's like, how do you get bigger? It's like <laughs> fucking driving a truck through a train. <laughs> it's not, just... Not a truck, a fucking digger. Yeah. It, this whole opening bit is like... I love this opening bit. Like Bond, the, the way this movie starts with like Bond at the end of a corridor, all the silhouettes, he walks towards the screen and you just see Daniel Craig's piercing blue eyes, you know, mm. is the only part. And, the, you know, in, we're straight in there. A hard drive's been stolen, which... Um, Contains all the, uh, the agents' names. Yeah, personal what, details what, of all what of them. Does, why would you ever have that? <laughs> in Istanbul. Just, <laughs> just took it on all day. Just why? Just like, oh, this will do. And then um, you're supposed to, what I love about this is, his bonds changed his tune now because when he first goes down the room, he's like, Dennis is dying. And she's like, leave him. And he's like, but Dennis is dying. It's like, yeah, but the fucking, this, this might not be funny. In the last two films, you've done this. It's like, they've got the hard drive, you pillock. <laughs> what are well, you doing? It, well, he does then pretty much take pursuit with uh, with uh, Moneypenny, Naomi Harris's character, doing field work in this uh, movie. Uh, do you know what? If you're a secret agent, mate, you've got to not be a good shot. <laughs> well, this whole sequence is, is just lavishly bond. Like I say, motorbikes that have no belonging on the rooftop. Uh, you know, go boarding a train, you know, got the, the kind of marketplace chaos scenes and the, the part where he gets in a digger rips open the carriageway and casually walks over it and jumps into the train and then just adjusts his tight. You're like, oh, that's so Bond. It's, it's so, so bond. brilliant. It's so good. And, th- and this goes back to that aesthetics. Daniel Craig looks amazing as, mm. you know, in the suits, in the kind of the style, the whole thing of it. Um, but yeah, they're chasing this terrorist and then Naomi Harris takes the shot, misses, hits Bond, he falls off the train. Terrorist gets away with all this intel and Bond uses it as an opportunity to slip into retirement, assumed dead. So what this also is, this is a great thing as well, is the idea that the Bond didn't fail, he didn't get a chance because Mem's more concerned with losing the disc. That Bond's, Bond's like, she takes the shot, she misses and Bond falls off the train. So if she doesn't take that shot, you ha- she should have had to trust Bond to win the fight and get it back. So th- it all starts because she doesn't trust Bond or to like finish the job. And I, that's really cool. I like that. Yeah. There's that, there's the fact that her neck's on the line. Every agent's neck could be on the line. Well, there's a really cool metaphor that I really want to bring in towards the end. So you carry on, babe. Um, so the villain escapes, as we said, and uh, Bond's presumed dead. Now, whilst Bond is uh, re- retired, M is challenged back at MI6, suggesting that she should retire. Here's where we get Mallory coming in. He should not be named Ray Fiennes. Um, and then there's a terrorist attack. The MI6 headquarters blow up. Mm. Huge scene, you know, and... and um, Straight from M's office as well. Yeah. Ooh. And then dirty. that forces Bond out of retirement to pick up the trail of the uh, the terrorists with this hard drive, leads him to Shanghai. High drinks ensue where then they find out the real villain is Raul Silva. Oh, that's a good name, isn't it? Who has a secret island. Yeah, he does. Classic Bond. Why wouldn't he have a secret island? I have a secret island, James. I don't have terrorist networks there. Yeah? Liar. <laughs> if you buy an island, you, yeah. know, you just feel like fucking terrorist. Yeah. It's why do you need an just island? Like, that's why, that's why, why, like you're a real estate agent. It's like, why do you need this island? Uh, I'm doing plants. <laughs> All right, cool. All right, Richard Branston. <laughs> you know, your islands, your Bahama islands. Um, Supervillain Raul Silva is a disgruntled ex-employee of MI6, given to the Chinese in 1997, has been tortured, disfigured, um, wants revenge, seeks revenge, wants it on uh, M, yeah. wants it on the heart. And when Bond brings him in, that's exactly where he wanted to be, James. He wanted to be at the headquarters. Sets mm. off a, another cyber attack from this time from within uh, MI6's building. 
when they access his laptop. And then Bond does the one thing, the, the most logical thing in this situation. Doesn't tell anyone. <laughs> takes M to his childhood home, Skyfall, Ooh. where the uh, amount of last stand against uh, uh, Raul Silva and his henchmen. So, because I remember this movie as well, like the speculation, what's Skyfall mean? What's, yeah, it, mean? what's it mean? What's it mean? And the reveal was, it's his home. And that's actually a really good reveal because... Well, you never get the childhood of Bond. You never get anything. The only time you ever see Bond is when he's already in the service. Like Bond, this Bond, because anywhere else, the earliest you've gone back, and that's when he's just become a double O. You don't know the service might he had in the Navy because obviously he holds the rank of commander in the Navy. So presumably he must have had some sort of uh, armed forces training at some point. You know, so this is, the, this is the most we've ever seen. And I really like the idea that beforehand as well, because he's, because he's, come back from the dead, if you will. He goes to a psychological assessment and he's, and I really like his answers. He's like, uh, night, he's like dancing. And he's like, Skyfall. And he's like, fuck you, motherfucker. <laughs> he just like walks out there. It's really cool. But at the same time, because what's really funny about that scene is, is afterwards, M tells him that he's passed. And then, and he's quite clearly hasn't. No. <laughs> so it's just like, and then Tanner, played by Greg Killian, is like, I didn't realise he passed. Did you? Like, of course he did. It was like, well, have you not been watching Kinnear? You fucking tit. That's not Greg Kinnear. Not Greg Kinnear. I, I was Rory Kinnear. Rory Kinnear. Yeah, so it'd be better if it was Greg Kinnear. <laughs> it'd be different. It would be different. But uh, no, I, uh, Skyfall's fantastic. And he, he lures silver up there and then uh, in a fucking over the top scene. But yeah, wow. I, I do like it as well when like, so there's Albert Finney then appears as like the caretaker who's- Doesn't make any sense. He's just really. been there all that time, yeah. all them years. Just you know. like, do you imagine he's just had raves? It's like massive mashups. Yeah. It's like, oofs, oofs. And like 20 years later, Bond comes back. He's like, oh shit. Bond's like, you got any milk? Oh no, I was just going to go out. I've had milk for the last 40 years. And now you turned up on the one day. You know, like, but I do like that bit where, the, where he shoves Judy Dench down the priest hole. <laughs> So it's just a weird thing. It's just a weird thing to do, isn't it? You yeah. know, like the, the kind of... The, the thing is that when he meets him, he's like, he's calling a remit. And you just know that deep down, he's like, oh, can I meet someone? He's like, oh, your husband's late. You know, he's dead. So maybe, uh, maybe you like a bit... Because what's he called, her? Eh? Emma. Because in the in Casino Royale, he's like... I didn't realise Emma. M stood for... And she's like, say one more word and I'll have you assassinated. Yeah, exactly. Like, Dench is full of sass. Dench. Uh, so this obviously... But, but mate, do you know what I love best about Bond film? I love, you know, everyone talks about Bond, you know, they talk about the gadgets, mate. One thing that stands out is a Bond villain. You've got to have a Bond villain and they've got to be great. They've got to be next level. Do you know what? Silver's plan isn't to take over the world. Silver's plan isn't anything to even related to do with the list. Apparently the list is there to basically get him in the same room with M so he can do his stuff. But he doesn't even want to kill M. He doesn't know what to do with it because what I love about this as well is like he, she denies him his actual name. There's a fantastic scene where he's in a prison cell and she comes to see him. And he's like, I don't even remember you. And he's like, you do remember me. It's like, call me my real name. And she refuses to and she leaves. And afterwards she says to Bond, like she gives him his real name and tells him what she did to him. In a phenomenal scene, because Ryle Silver, Javier Bardem's character, has lost his identity. And now he is, and now follow me here, he is Ryle Silver and M created him. And then he refers to M as his mother throughout. And spoilers, but you should really watch this film. You should really know what I'm talking about. At the end, when he finally catches up to it in a fucking church for no reason, Skyfall. That's what I said, priest hole. <laughs> priest hole. Um, is that she's hurt and he says, who did this to you? And it's like, he doesn't want her to die. And then in the end, he wants her to kill him. Them both, yeah. Kill them both, basically, because she created Ryle Silver. Mm. And it's really heartbreaking at the same time that it's like, do you ask, I actually didn't want him to die. 
I kind of wanted him to survive because he was so good. There's a horrific scene where he takes that. So, you know, you had the option to kill yourself. And he's like, well, I did. I, you cyanide in a tooth. All it did was burn in my mouth. He takes out his upper palate and his face like deforms and contorted. It's brilliant. He's fantastic. There's a scene where it's heavily implied that he's gay and then he's like, he's touching Bond and he's like rubbing him. He's like, oh, you know, there's a first for everything. And Bond responds, what makes you think it's my first time? Implying that because if you think about it, Bond at some point must have had to seduce a man to get information out of him because the reason he's so suave and the reason he's so good with ladies is because he needs information. Well, at some point there must have been a man that he had to seduce. So why is that? Why do you think it's my first time? Brilliant back and forth. Fucking Harvey Bardem, mate, he's next level in this film. He's so good. Bond just walks away from that scene like, fuck it. <laughs> that was close. <laughs> <laughs> Called his bluff. <laughs> but um, I do you know what? Everything's brilliant, but you, when you've got Bond, it, and there's, it's heading towards like a, not a courtroom, but M's kind of on trial. And she's given a speech about how you don't know who the enemy is. That's why you need the MI6. You need them hunting the villains that you don't know about as a compilation of Bond running to the courtroom as fast as he can, a Q trying to debug this laptop, and you've got uh, Silver going around shooting people as he enters the courtroom. What I love about this, at no point does someone ring the police officers that you see in the courtroom and go, are some people coming to show him? Maybe we should do something about it. They, No one. Bond runs past policemen. <laughs> you know, could have just stopped. They're going, here's my badge. Mate, could you get me here quicker, please? The police are like, well, look, we've got battens. <laughs> like, that's it. Like, Dev guys have got guns, man. Like, just leave them to it. Um, but then you do get to see uh, Money Penny kicking ass. You get to see uh, Mallory, Ralph Fiennes, kicking ass as well. The, 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 all, all of this is brilliant. I love all the London sequence. I like the Shanghai stuff. You know, it's globetrotting like Bond is. The bit where I did, I remember losing it in the cinema, like just coming out of the movie a little bit. Mind, I'm with you. It's the same bit. Is the train scene yep, where you're the, like, where he throws a train at him. Yeah. But you're like, there's no one on this train. This is peak London. Like, <laughs> how have they caught the train that no one's on? Where are they? Um, you're like, so, great introduction of Q. I think Ben Winshaw does a phenomenal job. I love Eve Mother. This is what great. I was talking about. He's great. Mate, when he talks, it's Paddington. I just, oh, I love the guy. This is obviously the voice of Paddington. Yeah, he does. Oh, right, yeah. Cool. Um, for some reason, I thought it was Russell Brand. I don't know why. Never mind. Oh, um, uh, what? It, this is formally forming a, uh, an, uh, a secondary cast now that support Bond. And it's really good to see a great cue in it. I thought he was a phenomenal cue. You know, when he meets up with him, he's like, well, what gadgets have you got for me? He's got a gun and he's got a radio. Mm. <laughs> um, because now, sorry, mate. I've, I've just spoken. Old, the old PPK gun. Yeah, and I only exactly. know that from Goldeneye. Um, and he's, he's got to have. Um, he can only show, he can, he's the only one that can show it. But what I really love about Skyfall is you strip it all down. It's when M is on trial, Bond itself is on trial. The whole idea when you first see Bond come back from the dead is uh, Mallory's character, Ralph Fiennes, is talking about how they don't need a double O agent. It's about the world, does the world need James Bond? It's, it's an in-depth look at, do we still respect Bond as what he is? Because Q in this isn't the gadget man. Q is actually the next level of agent that they want. He's all about computers. He's hacking. He's mm. the quartermaster. But at the same time, he is what spying is now. He's all about the computers and Bond is obsolete. You know, I really like that dynamic. I know I've really got into it. But um, Ryan Silver says that when he first meets Bond, he's like, I don't need to do this. He walks over to one computer and says, I can hack a bank. He walks over to another one and says, I can destabilize the government. It's like, I don't need to actually do any legwork. You know, he's only doing legwork so we can get in the same room with them and kill it. The whole film puts Bond itself on trial. And I think it's phenomenal. I mm. think it's really written well. I think it holds up. The Judy Dench speech that she gives us is actually, you know what? It's quite, it's really heartfelt. It's really cool. I agree with a lot of what's said. I fucking love Skyfall because of its multi different layers. Do you know what really upsets me? 
So spoilers, she dies at the end in, in Bond's arms. I don't think she should have died. I think it should have cut away because she says to him, they have this great conversation throughout the, throughout the film, is that the only way to truly retire is to think you're dead, which is why he did it. How great would it have been if you never actually saw her die? Like after the funeral, you just saw her going away. Implied that the only way to really retire from the life is to make everyone think you're dead. I thought I was being so would, cool. It would mirror the beginning of the movie. That's what I mean. Yeah. So, so that's but, me just fantasy booking a, a pretty awesome film, to be honest. Yeah. And, and I think that going back to the idea as well, that it set up that Bond was going to die. Mm. The, then in the cinema, it was like, oh, she was the one who's going to die. And then it makes sense because he drags her to there. Why is she in there? Last thing, why is Judy Dench, you know, like she's not a field agent, mm. you know, and they throw Albert Finney in there to kind of throw you off the center a little bit. And yeah, which she does, uh, which she does pass in, that, yeah, I, I thought it was really good. I thought it was because you, you, it's it's the old magician trick. Yeah. Your eyes aren't on her; they're on Bond, and you don't realize then what actually happens. Great callback though with the uh, the classic car. You know, a car that was from Connery's. You know, it doesn't make any sense how this Bond's got it, but do you know what? It's one of those things where you think, "Fuck it, I do not care." Mm. It's awesome. Um, I I love this film. I always thought uh, Mallory was going to turn out to be a bad guy, but also That's you, must, great fans, though, you must always, yeah, exactly. I mean, if it had been anyone else like Ben, I can't remember his name. Anyway, um, I thought it was absolutely great. I like that. He's also an expert with, he's not an expert weapons, but he turns out he served. So he shoots, you know, he knows what he's talking about. And I think it ends, you've, I know you've already mentioned it, but it turns out that she's money penny. That's a really cool nod. Cause money penny is obviously the, the only woman to actually, you know, disarm Bond she, she doesn't want she doesn't fall for his charms mate she's, nah. she's read the reports she's like he's definitely got diseases I'm not, <laughs> not touching him so do you know what Skyfall was a pleasure to watch Javier Bardem and he, it's that brilliant thing that you find yourself wanting more of the villain yeah you want it more yeah and Bond doesn't always do that does it it doesn't give you a lot of villain yeah it tries to put the emphasis on Bonds oh, get in there uh, so for movie four Oh, so that's me. Spectre. Well. Sorry, mate. I've just kind of gushed all over Skyfall. Right, Spectre. So huge mounts on this, mate. A lot of people, you know, it was called Spectre, kind of letting the goose out of the bag. Everyone was expecting it. The Spectre. goose was out the bag. <laughs> yeah, it was. The day after M's funeral, Bond receives a video from M asking him to kill Marco and then attend his funeral to see who shows up. So against the wishes of the current M, which is now Mallory... Bond travels to Mexico City on the Day of the Dead, where he kills El Marco and also stops a terrorist attack. Now, great opening. I was going to say, the, we were talking about openings going above and beyond. And I don't know if you've watched this recently, but it's a continuous shot. Like the first three minutes are one, I think it might be even longer, it's one continuous shot, which means that some of the green screen, green screen doesn't hold up, but I just think it's a magical move. There's a smart cut here and there, but ultimately you watch Bond walk from the streets, go to a hotel room, and then basically climb over a balcony and go to assassinate someone. <laughs> well, basically all of this happens and he comes back to London. Um, this couldn't come at a worse time as the double O program is about to be closed down and the whole world of counter espionage is about to change out with the old and in with nine eyes. Ooh. With nine eyes is a global surveillance system sharing uh, between the nations. So basically what will happen is, we share with everyone. So basically getting rid of like the CIA, get rid of MI6 and everyone having a global blanket. So Bond has to go against M to attend the funeral. So he gets injected with smart blood from Q and then Q's on his side because he asked Q for a few days. He even gets Money Penny involved, shows Money Penny the video so he knows, so she knows she's invested. So Bond has to go against M to attend the funeral. He seduces a widow and he crashes a meeting. Then he comes across the shadowy organization Spectre. I like this scene. This scene reminded me of like old school 
um, you know, movies like Where Eagles Dare. Yeah. You know, like it, it had that, like that castle feel, had the spy going in there. Like they were clearly Nazis, <laughs> you know, like it had that classic cinema feel to it. I really like the scene where, because I, I, I see that when I watch them scenes, I'm always like, someone would have seen him. Mm. And, and I know in this, they do. The reveal is, is that they reveal knew is, he was. Reveal is they always knew. Yeah. Um, and so I should have mentioned from Marco, he steals a he steals a, a, a ring with a Hydra symbol on it. No, it's a it's, it's it's very a Hydra, is it? It's very Spectre. Hydra. Hydra. It's an octopus. Uh, basically, then he notices he's down there. But the head of the shadowy figure turns to him and he almost seems to recognise him and he's talking to him, James Bond, directly. So he knows he's there. So he runs out. He's run out of town by a Spectre agent named Mr. Hinks. Mr. Hinks played by Dav Batista. Brilliant. Um, who is in a silent, he only has one line. It was a callback to, um, so he's based on odd job, but an odd job that of this time. So he's silent. He doesn't say anything. He has one line throughout the entire film. Um, there's a bit I want to get onto earlier, which is another callback, but basically he, they, they were worried about asking Dave Bautista to do a non-speaking role. And he was like, no, because the best henchman, odd job, and he's had jaws, don't speak. He was like, that's what I want. Mm. He's a huge Bond fan. As I recall, he, he petitioned to be in a Bond film. Huge physical presence in this movie. Well, that's, that's what comes into... Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about that later. So, um, right. Now, this is why, you know, we're talking about it's a serial. So three move, three films later, um, Bond is forced down to forced to track down former Spectre agent, Mr. White, referred to as the Pale King throughout this film so far, to find out how to bring down the criminal organisation. Mr. White had uh, ideological differences when the when the head of Spectre started human trafficking. So in the end, Bond has to, basically, he's he's been assassinated in a very near to the knock at real time Russians were killing people when they were the radioactive waste in computers this is in real life and so Mr. White is dying from radiation poisoning he does a deal with Bond he says you must protect my daughter she'll, she'll take you to the Americano and uh, she'll show you what to do so there he meets so he has to meet up with Madeline, uh, Madeline Swan Mr. White's daughter take on Spectre can't believe her surname's Swan and he's Mr. White yep. like White Swan uh, like, you couldn't you couldn't write this but it took three writers <laughs> Right, but wait, there's more somehow. Right, follow this. The leader of Spectre, Ernst Stavro Bloomfeld, was actually born Franz Obenhauser, whose father raised Bond after Bond's parents died in a climbing accident. Bloomfeld was so annoyed by having to share his toys that he killed his father, faked his death, created Spectre, used the sheaf to fund terrorism, was somehow responsible for Vesper's death, was technically in charge of Quantum, meaning Quantum was a shadowy organisation working for another shadowy organisation. He funded Ralph Silver so that Silver would kill Bond's motherly figure work, as well as being constantly evil at all times. Currently, Bloomfeld is actually in charge of Nine Eyes, meaning that once all the countries start using it, Bloomfeld would know everything in the intelligence community. Boom. Yeah, I mean, that's what I got from the movie when I was watching it. Like, wraparounds. Christoph Waltz is uber villain. Um, at the end of the film, Bond doesn't kill Bloomfield. He runs away with Dr. Swan and quits the agency for the 900th time. <laughs> when you watch him in close succession, he just quits. Just keeps he? quitting. He just quits all the time. If he don't quit, he's faked his death. Um, I'll be honest, Spectre, big Christmas dinner. He's got everything you want on it. I've mean, stick to his food metaphor. Mr. Hinks is the potatoes, mate. Bond's the turkey. But that gravy that you want, the best gravy, it's bubbling away, it's hot, it's great. It's Christopher Waltz as Blumfeld. He's the most perfect casting in, in probably any film you've ever seen. Mm. They're talking about Bond's ultimate villain and you hear Christopher, Christopher Waltz, you think there's no way this can be bad. The problem is, is why is Bond... So uh, Spectre being behind all of the bad things that happened to Bond. That's kind of cool. But the reason for it is because he doesn't like the fact that his father liked Bond. 
it's it, when you boil it down to that, it's quite shitty motivation, especially the lengths that Bloomfield goes to. It's really poor. I think it's really kind of crap. Christopher Waltz is, is I expected so much more, but was ultimately a letdown. It was kind of crap. The real villain is Mr. Hinks. Mr. Hinks, there's a terrible like chase scene where Bond Bond's in a plane. And I don't know why I don't like Bond in a plane. <laughs> Bond in a plane trying to run, uh, they kidnap, uh, Spectre kidnapped Dr. Swan. And he's in a plane and they're in cars. And he kind of like, he's lost his wings and he's like flowing down the mountain and somehow manages to hit the car with fucking luck. <laughs> Or he's done that doing his maths equations. He should have phoned up the chief. I was like, the chief, if, I, if my plane is travelling down the hillside at 110 miles per hour. Um, I don't, do you know what, mate? It's the most disappointing because I didn't have any expectations from Quantum, really. This is more disappointing to me because of the, sta- uh, the staff, uh, the cast in it. Everything works out. They go to the train and the train only exists in Bond movies. Like being on a train is a very Bond thing. That and... Um, under Siege 2. Those are the times where trains are acceptable. Broken Arrow. Broken Arrow. Uh, Mr. Hinks appears on the train and it's kind of a callback to, there's a brutal fight scene called From Russia With Love, which I think is the second Bond movie. And it's a fantastic, it's one of the best Bond fight scenes ever. Sean Connery getting beaten up by this Russian. And it's an homage to this, as Mr. Hinks is literally just throwing him out everywhere. Um, it's brilliant. It's actually a fantastic callback to that series. I really like, Mr. Hinks is the silent henchman. It's like a, an homage. Everything about this film though, it, it, it's it's missing the ingredient, but it's missing the ingredient that ties it all together. I, I was severely disappointed by this. And you know, when I was watching it, I had more questions like the ring that Bond gives to Q. So Q shows up quite a lot in this and is more involved. No one believes Bond to start with. So Bond uses this uh, ring, he gives it to Q and Q gets the DNA, but somehow it has DNA from all the villains of the previous films on it. It's like, that doesn't make sense. But this guy just went around and shook their hands. M making that tape, right? So one, how does M know about Marco? You know, and then my biggest question is, on the way in Skyfall, they drive from London to Scotland. So at some point she should have gone, by the way, if I die, will you do this? <laughs> she doesn't mention that. So what do they talk about? Maybe he did, and Bob was just like, shh. <laughs> Let's just deal with one problem. Um, and uh, there's, so did you know I said quantum shit? Mm. The end of this film, James Bond's in the old bombed MI6 headquarters and Bloomfield has left like a mace for him. And as he's going through like the prison a bit, all the cells have got pictures of people on villains. So in one villain, there's in one cell, there's a picture of uh, Evergreen. In one picture, there's Mr. White, there's Le Chief, there's Raoul Silver. Do you know what there isn't? There's fucking no one from the Quantum of Solace. <laughs> it's like they completely binned that film off, just forget about it. Also, you've got a secondary storyline with Andrew Scott, who's the new leader. He's basically M's boss. He wants to get rid of MI6. He it's nine eyes all the way. So you've got a you've got a storyline for Ralph Fiennes. So that's pretty good. Those characters get to do something. But ultimately, Bond broods. He doesn't do anything. This should have been the best Bond film. Coming off Skyfall, this should have been the best thing. The only way you could have got better casting was like you had Harvey Bardem, Christopher Waltz. The film that everyone wants to see is Bloomfeld. What are they going to do with Spectre? It's going to be so amazing. The iconic Bond villain. David, uh, Donald Pleasant did such a good job in like the 60s and 70s. We cannot wait to see what Christopher Watts does with it. Nothing. He, he's smarmy. He's crap. He ultimately is a psychopath who's so hell-bent on torturing James Bond that he's put all these elaborate plans in place. Whereas you just think that if he was so smart to do that, he would have just like shot him in the head or something. He's, he, yeah, I'll be but honest. see, I'm, I'm in the camp of, I think Christoph Waltz as Blofeld is like, he's, he's great. His limitations are, it's Christoph Waltz playing Blofeld in a Bond movie. So yeah. therefore he's limited. He's going to do the things that happen in Bond movies. Like, well, do, like talk about his plan openly. 
and re- reveal his hand to Bond when, when he should really just be shooting him in the head and getting rid of him. Yeah, You're right, but it's yeah. because he's confined to the mechanics of Bond. Yeah, but at the same time, why are they personally invested? That's a really stupid reason. Is like, oh, you I'm can't... not saying it's perfect. I'm just, I... I just think there's moments. I, I'm clearly a bigger fan of this movie than, than you are. Um, this to me is, is one of the best ones. You see, this is where you and I wildly disagree. I think Spectre is one of the worst of Bond films I've seen mm. because nothing's even resolved in it. You know, he doesn't kill Bloomfield at the end, which is really cool because... Let's be honest, you would love to see Christopher Walls in another film. Hint, hint. <laughs> um, it's really good in the continuation that, that he brings up Vesper. So his new love, Madeline Swan, when the three characters are together, he's like, did he tell you about Vesper? I killed her. You know, he's a dick move. I like part of this, but the lowest point, this, this will be the most depressingly disappointing film, Bond film. There's so much. I had so many hopes and they didn't hit any of them i was really disappointed i feel like it peaked in the opening scene and when you've peaked in the opening scene you've no i I, I still still like him i'm I'm still i'm I'm not i'm not saying it's i'm not saying i'm not going to you know retract anything you've said i'm not going to stick up for it but personally i do i do like spectre i remember seeing this in the cinema with my dad and my brother in like kinema in the woods and Mm. just just loving it. I just, I really, really enjoyed it. I, it's got the Bond plot holes and everything, but it had enough of everything that I needed. I needed that wraparound to unite the movies up until this point. I needed the uber villain. I needed the Christoph Waltz character. It had nods to all the Bond's scenes and sequences that I love. I don't like that it reconstitutes the two first films though, because it doesn't make sense. Mm. Like Mr. White can't, Mr. White works for both organisations. doesn't really make any sense. However, I do like the fact that they had bring in this character to try to take Bloomfield. It's like, oh, this character that's eluded you for the first two films is actually kind of on your side. You know, it's like a deal with the devil. I like that. But Le Chief, work perspective doesn't make sense because mm. that's not his job. His job was to basically fund terrorism, but at the same time make money for himself. And Quantum's role was to what? Just, were they were like, were they like the Boy Scouts? of <laughs> suspected they're like, if you do a good job in Quantum, you can get a seat at the big boy's table. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> We don't. We we can't even begin to understand the way that Blofeld's mind works, James. Yeah, but um, I'm hugely disappointed. And then when they meet Bloomfield in his in his great like desert base, he shoots one thing and the whole fucking thing explodes. And they're like, "Well, he's dead. Let's move on back to London." He's <laughs> fucking no, no way he's coming back. <laughs> um, disappointed, mate. Very disappointed. Good ending mate. though with a helicopter on the bridge. It was all right. I quite enjoyed that. It, I quite no, enjoyed it, it for a Bond ending. I thought it was all right. I think the MVP is Q. I think Ben Bloomfield does such a good job at mm. Q in this because he's the actual agent. Right, this is your warning. If you do not want to know about No Time to Die, uh, thank good, you very much. Thank you for listening. There will be definite spoilers about the ending. Yes, we're going to talk about No Time to Die for the remaining of the show. I imagine the next half hour or so is going to be just this movie. So if you haven't seen it, do go watch that movie. We do not want to spoil it for you. And anyone who's like, podcast shouldn't spoil movies, this is our f- podcast, all right? Yeah. <laughs> do what we want. Yeah. And but you know, we want to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> and if you've seen it, you know, DM us. Don't put it where people can see it. Mm. You know, write to us. Let us know what you thought. Um, call it. James, give me number at the end of the show. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about No Time to Die Now, which is out of the cinema at the moment. If you have not seen the movie, do not listen on. We'll see you next week. Yep. And thank you for listening. And if you have seen it, well, welcome to what we thought of No Time to Die. Just pause. Yep. Right now they've gone. Bloody hell. I can't hey. believe they haven't seen it yet. Jesus. Can you believe it?
Although, what's really weird is I've noticed a lot of podcasts aren't talking about it. Oh, I, yeah. Because I thought we were going to be really late to it because by the time that this came out, it would have been out three weeks. Yeah, this would be out on the 18th. This yeah, so today's so, the 11th. But no one has yet. Has, I haven't seen anyone do it. So hopefully maybe we'll beat him. No Tandai. Remy Malik. Uh, joins this, the this cast. Sam, joins yeah. the cast, yeah. What's his uh, name? Uh, Good to come to that. <laughs> Lashana Lynch comes into it. Uh, returning cast members, obviously. Uh, Leah Saldo. We're going to talk about Ben Wishaw's back in it. Ray Fiennes is back in this one. Naomi Harris. And of course, Daniel Craig. Okay, so as James alluded to in the last movie, Mr. White had a daughter. Yeah, he did. One day in a flashback sequence. Oh, here we go. Lucifer Safin. Jesus who Christ. This time moving forward, I'm just going to call Lucifer Satan yep. for, this, for the ease of it. I'm just going to call him Rami Malek. <laughs> <laughs> attempts to kill Mr. White's family. So we see a flashback sequence in Norway home. Lovely home, by the way. It is very lovely home. Lovely home. Did you know, though, completely retconned, because in the last, literally in the last film, she talked about how her parents got divorced. Wow. Mm. Well, she's covering up, mate. The writers hadn't wrote this bit Well, yet. also, she said as well that one day a man came to her house, and that's why she doesn't like guns. But she says that it's because she used like a 9mm, but she doesn't. She used a machine gun in this part, so she's bullshit. Boom. <laughs> bullshit. Terrible, so- Ryan. Send it back. So in this, uh, yeah, so we, we see this uh, figure uh, uh, approach this, this home to go kill Mr. White, who's not home, but his wife and his daughter are, kills the mum. She's wearing like a white suit and some sort of, what is that mask? That's like classic Bond though, isn't it? That like white yeah. snowsuit um, and a, yeah, a horrible like a ghost mask, mask well, yeah. yeah. Uh, which we've seen on the trailer. It's that, that scene, Remy Malik comes to, to, comes to blow the house in. Anyway, um, Mr. White isn't home, like we said. Kills the mum, daughter survives. Anyway, now we skip forward years later to where we left with Spectre. So now Madeline, the girl, is grown up, is with James Bond, which is all kind of weird as well, isn't it? This like, you know, you're the daughter of that guy who killed they the d- person that I was really in love with. and They do say that she's the only one that can understand him because she's the daughter of an assassin. And you're just yeah. like, yeah, but the one that really understood him, all these films are about how Vespers is true love. <laughs> So, yeah, and it, so it's basically like sticking the middle finger up to this character and going, you know that character that's not been in as many movies as you? Yeah, he's the one that she really loves. And he fucking, even in this film, they opens up with, a, she's the one he really Yeah, loves. if you're the therapist of Bond, you'd just be like, Jesus. <laughs> You've done this to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, but years later, uh, Madeline and Bond are vacationing. They're on a sexcation, let's be honest, yep. in a lovely part of Italy. Um, ironically, their sexcation is also where Eva Green is buried. Because <laughs> why would it be? It's awkward. It is so awkward. It's like, oh, let's go have some sex. But first, can you say goodbye to your loved one? It has this this nice, like, don't go wrong, this Italian landscape is amazing. And there's mm. these fires, the sky is lit full of you know, like burning embers and it's this celebration of burning secrets, yes. burning your past. You know, it's very wrapped around in, and um, metaphorical, this opening scene. And I quite like it. It's, it's the Bond moments I often love, the, the moments I cherish. These, these exotic locations that I just want to go visit and experience. And, you know, so they're there, they, they agree that after this night, we're going to move on. You know, you're going to tell me your secrets, Madeline, and I'm going to get rid of the ghosts of my past. So he goes to Evergreen's tomb, Vesper's tomb, you won't fucking believe it, James. But what? Bomb. Oh, of course there was. It does open up to a really marvellous sequence, which I really appreciate the fact that the trailer, so everything in the trailer is yeah. this bit. So after this scene, you're like, okay, now let's get into the movie that I haven't, because I've seen this trailer a billion times. And I think they might have done that on purpose. Yeah, I, it, it works really well. That. Do you remember when the second one came out, they only showed you clips from the first 15 minutes. Yeah, which so is the right know. thing to yeah. do. And and so this, you get this, and it gets a really good sequence. You've got all the things you want. You've got car chases, you've got gadgets, you've got, 
you know, really what Bourne capitalised on, which you started the show talking about, cars and motorbikes going down confined spaces and where vehicles should not be traveling. Mm. You've got all of other things. You've got Bond villains, you know, with fake eyes and stuff like It's just, it's really Bond rich kind of feel mm. to it. They do um, dial up the storyline to like an old story, an old Bond story, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Madeline and Bond separate. He, but uh, he, he weirdly gets, he gets a, a voicemail call. from Blofeld who's in prison. Like, it's like it, was, it was me all along. No, it was her, James. You can't trust like, her, James. It's like she's a daughter of daughter of Hydra. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she's like, no spectators. Like, oh, right, yeah. So he puts her on a train. He's like, jog on, love. Yeah. We're never going to see each other again. Just jog on. Just look at Skip it. forward again. <gasps> so Skip. we're 20 minutes in and we're skipping forward to the new timeline. This I is where if, the remaining of the movie will, will remain. And that's five years from that incident. I wonder if Bond's like killed himself again. You, you won't know. believe it, mate. He's only retired. Oh, shocking. He's only retired to Jamaica. He's, he's off the grid. He's not doing it anymore. But in London, M has secretly approved uh, a new biotech weapon, which uses nanobots to infect via DNA like a virus making it lethal to some and harmless to others. Yeah. So the idea is that if someone wanted to kill you, they'd infect the human race and it would travel from person to person, hit you. And then because it's coded to your DNA, you would die. Mm. So it's, so it's like a weapon that specifically targets people. It's really good. It's a cool idea. It's very bonding. I think it needs this, this film maybe needed an additional scene to be like, in case that person went to the loo or sneezed, (laughs) To just reiterate this bit, because that is that is quite complicated, and it, it's obviously the main hinchpin of the whole movie. It is complicated compared. If you think about the storylines of all these films, they've actually been other than Quantum, because Jesus Christ knows what that film is about. All mm. the other films are actually quite simple. Guy wants to kill M. You know, guy wants to like really piss about with James Bond's world <laughs> because he stole his Rolos. <laughs> Shit, it's the fan when the lead Russian scientist, a Brudchev, yep. who let's be honest, lead Russian scientist. Probably going to defect at some point. Yep. <laughs> it's a Bond movie. It's a Bond movie. Um, <laughs> he's kidnapped along with Project Heracles. Heracles? Heracles. 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 So, um, yeah, so the, the weapon, the technology, and the lead scientist all disappear. I like how we've moved on from GoldenEye where the Russian scientist was just Boris. Yep. A lot easier. Yeah. A lot easier just to get Boris. I'm invincible. <laughs> yeah, Alan Cummins. I know, it's weird, isn't it? Uh, but now we're with uh, Abruvacek. Now, Bond is once more pulled out of retirement and he's forced to go to Cuba to infiltrate. Bro, not by MI6. No, cool. I like this. The I Jeffrey like this Wright well. comes to town and he's like, look, I need, brother, you. I need you. You're yeah. the only guy I can trust. You know, we see this in the trailer. You've got to go to Cuba to infiltrate a, a Spectre birthday party, but you're going to be accompanied weird, by Paloma Ana de Armas. That was the name I couldn't remember earlier. Paloma. Ana de Armas. Reuniting. So, I like this sequence. I love I love the Cuba scenes. Yep. I love Ana de Armas' character. If... You want this? This felt like a victory lap for Bond. This whole movie did, and it yeah. also felt like the last chance to right some wrongs. They brought on um, oh crap, I forgot her name now. Uh, Fleabag. Um, oh uh, yes, Sophie. No, it's not Sophie. Bloody, I forgot bloody name. Why do I think it was Sophie Alice Baxter. <laughs> the singer. No, it's um. I oh, know, mate. I'm fucking dying here. Phoebe Waller-Bridge. That's the one. Yeah, I got it, mate. I don't need your Google. I've got it. Um. So they brought her on for some rewrites. It does feel like a bit more modern. I ended Armist's character as uh, Paloma. She's the best character. I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't want to say this to the end. She's the best character in the entire film because her, her whole run is to just have like greatness. Yeah. She doesn't overstay. Welcome. She comes in. She did see, she's like, oh, it's my first day. She's like, I've done three weeks training. However, she's absolutely kick-ass. She she's clearly like has not done three weeks training. Yeah. yeah she's, and, I, and I she's, she's fact- not interested in Bond. She's like, oh no, you know, you're yeah. old. <laughs> I love the idea that she's the Bond. 
you know, she's the she's the ultimate killing machine. You know, she's got no ties to this. She you know, comes in, does a business and leaves. She's yeah. fucking phenomenal in this film. And you know what? Anna de Armas, mate. I know I've only seen like two of the films I might have seen one. She's brilliant. Yeah. She's phenomenal. She, she fucking milks the screen time. You know, she gets like four minutes. Well, she's using them for I know she obviously uses more than that, but she's fantastic in this. They are great scenes. They play really well together. They're, you know, there's a, there's a whole shootout sequences where they pause gunfire to have a drink together in this bar and, and stuff. And, the whole thing's great. There's a new 007 on town that we, uh, in town as well that we should say that Lashana Lynch's character is... And she's is, good. Yeah, is... is, uh, is uh, I think her name's Nomi in it, is, is the new 007 who's there in Cuba as well to get the Russian scientist. Because she's working for MI6. And there is the um, the the Spectre birthday party. Now, <laughs> Blofeld from his prison in London is communicating with his ex-colleagues via eye technology. Yep. Remember that villain I talked about at the beginning with a fake eye? Yep. That eye... Is, is how he sees into the world. It's, it's on a platter as people walk around. It's a bit odd. A bit what, cool. What I don't understand as well is, is Bond's going to, do you know what, they make a big deal. Every Spectre agent is in this. It's like Bloomfield wants like a huge party. So every Spectre agent is in this building. Mm. And Bond's just walking around there and they, they look at him like they kind of, they, they just look at him and give him the evils, but it's implied that they don't actually know it's him. But how? He's, he single-handedly like, Destroyed, it, like yeah. Port Spectre in the last dispatch. Spanked your boss. How does that even go? Well, you're James Bond, right? <laughs> well, it's, they, they, it, so, yeah, and this is the other thing. It's the, it's the Humpty Dumpty rule, isn't it? Humpty Dumpty, like all the king's horses, all the king's men went to go see, well, leave someone at home. Yeah, exactly. Because that's the perfect time to invade that castle. Yeah, exactly. And this feels a bit, now, this feels a bit dumb of uh, Blofeld to be like, let's get all my agents in one room at the same time. Nothing's Nothing going to happen. Wrong. And here's where you get into double crossing territory. So it's all going to be elaborate selves to kill Bond. Fucking going around the asses. Like, I imagine they could have snipered Bond at this point. Yeah. You know, but no, they pull him out of retirement. They get him in this room. But Shire, fucking surprised. The Russian scientist has only changed the configuration and the DNA sequence what? of the you gas, mean- the nano mist. Yeah. And instead of killing Bond, he's completely fine. It kills every Spectre agent, wiping out Spectre in a single move. Which, right. So, in the context, another person has wiped out Spectre who's done a good thing. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, and this Russian scientist, you know, Bond then captures the Russian scientist to go back to this boat. They start to talk about it and the Russian scientist is like, well, I, I did what I was asked to do. I changed it. You know, and he doesn't realise who he's speaking to is not on his team. He kind of, yeah. he's, he's a blabbermouth. He's a bit of like lighthearted relief. He's, you know, he's he's, he's somewhat comical and, and, you know, the buffoon, I guess, in some of these scenes, these harder scenes. And so you get this idea that someone behind the scenes is 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 wiped out Spectre. So this powerful organisation that's been behind the last four movies, yeah, it's now, someone is superior to all of those people. So you're thinking then, this is going to be brilliant. Mm. Whatever happens now is going to be phenomenal. So uh, after all of that bit, what do we get? Bond is forced uh, back to London to interrogate Blofeld. So, go, so the Russian scientist, there's another double cross. He goes in the wind. They've they've not got him. So they, they go to Blofeld thinking that he will lead them to the uh, the Russian scientist. He'll know because he was the guy that's trying to orchestrate the whole thing. Mm. Fucking shy surprise, James. Shy a fucking surprise. Madeline, what? who he hasn't seen for five years, who's what? the psychologist of Blofeld. She's yeah. the, the only people that she was see to is, is Madeline. Oh my God. And Madeline agrees to this, even though she knows that Blofeld fucking did a one in, in Italy. <sighs> she lost the love of her life, but she'll still go see the guy. Because, you know, ka-ching. 
Too many, yeah. too many O's on that paycheck. Jesus. Now, Double you won't O's. believe it that before that... <laughs> nice. <laughs> you won't believe it that before that... Shy fucking double surprise. Oh, there's so many surprises, mate. Lucifer Satan only re-shows back up for a psychology session. Oh, what? And he's like, he's like, you know, we haven't seen each other for years. I saved you, though. Like, you know, let's, let's you know... Oh, let's... so so it's very implied now that she doesn't know who he is mm. at first. Yeah, so this is the point I want to make. So he doesn't know who she... She doesn't know who he is, despite the fact that his face looks exactly the same because he's quite distinctive. And then uh, he tells he, her a story, and then she's like, "Oh my god, it might be him!" And then he even pulls out the mask. He's like, "Just to confirm, yeah, just yes, confirm. it was me." Uh, do you know what I would have done? Showed the bullet holes. <laughs> this is when you shot me six times, love. Do you know? And what? I still saved you from that. Ass. Do you remember this? Do you remember? Just tell a story. Like yeah. I come around to ask to shoot you, and I saved your life. I would have took the mask back as well. That's that's vintage. I would have took it back. You put it in a nice box. Presentation. <laughs> Gets five. Um, and here he, he asks for a simple favour. I, <laughs> I just want you to, but essentially just goes, can you go do your job? And she's like, oh no, he does tell her, doesn't he? So, I, like, so, so he's, he's put the nano mist in some perfume and he's like, wear this when you go see Bloomfeld. Bloomfeld. You're the only person who's going to get close to him. Because Bloomfeld is also the last spectre. Yeah. Now she's like, clearly knows he's up to something. Mm. Because why would you do all of this? Why would you say put this perfume on? Like she knows. But anyway, so she backs out. She sees Bloomfeld. When they go, James Bond's there. Hannibal Lecter scene, you know, Christoph Waltz is held down in this mechanical cage lift. Which is weird, isn't it? Yeah. Because he's, he's never like a physical threat. He's always like his mind. So why would they do that? But you, you know what? It doesn't matter. It adds to the mystique, I guess. Yeah, he's not the Hulk, is he? <laughs> It'd be fucking awesome if he was. <laughs> it would be, actually. And it would be if Hannibal, he's like, James, I've, I've, I've reverted to cannibalism whilst I'm in here. <laughs> fucking hell, times are tough. Um, Just credit crunch, mate. That whole sequence where it plays out, you know, we could spoil it, but well, fuck she, it, let's just move on. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it boils down to then, uh, do, 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 long story short, who orchestrated uh, the attempt on Bond's life? Framing Madeline was uh, Blofeld. Bond then gets a bit agitated. He's touched Madeline, so he's got the nanobites on him. So inadvertently, he is the one that actually kills Blofeld. So Blofeld does because he got strangled by Bond, but they did stop him. But it doesn't matter because the nanobites that were tailored to infect Bonfield have traveled from Madeline to Bond to like I say, Bonfield. not not hurting Bond, only hurting the person it's intended to to, to hurt. So um So that's pretty big. Bonfield, like the biggest character of the last one, is dead in like after two scenes. So you're following the rabbit in this one. In this case, now it's Madeline. So if your leads are all dying left, right, and center, the now the chain is with Madeline because she must know something, because yeah. she must have been you know, orchestrated the death somehow. And last time you spoke to Blumfeld, Blumfeld was talking about her dangerous secret and the biggest secret of all. So she must know this person. So that must be the connection, which is really cool foreshadowing. And the best thing is she goes back to her childhood home. Yeah. Full circle. We go back to where the movie began in this Nor Norway house, which again, I'm going to say again, James, great windows, great view. Great windows. Maybe not next to the giant lake though. No, no. But, you know, certainly the decor was nice. The decor was nice. Updated as well. It wasn't such a show like it was in the first one. Madeline has a five-year-old kid with Daniel Craig eyes. Yeah, but it's not Daniel Craig's. It's, it's not definitely James not Daniel Craig's. Do you do not need to know? It's definitely not James. Well, she got her eyes are so blue that they are piercing. Yeah, they're like coming out of the screen at you. <laughs> <They're like, laughs> um, Madeline shares the news of uh, Safin or Satan, uh, the villain who's orchestrated all of this, and you fucking won't believe it, James. What? Shy surprise. What? It's only got an island. Right. This is why I got confused <laughs> because it's implied that he lost the island to Spectre, and now I always thought that the. The at the end of Spectre was on an island. Is it the island that Raul Julia's on? Raul Julia, fucking hell. No, because this, this is, is between a Russia this, and Japan. Right. So this is a new island. Yeah. The other, Why does it look... Do you remember the scene in, in Skyfall where they shoot the glass of whiskey? Why does it look exactly like that island? 
If I work for MI6, I would stop with all this nanobot yeah, technology. Like, just bug every island. Yeah, exactly. I just Literally, think, just put an island, and also a, when, an agent on every island. When you see the island as well, when they're traveling to it, you're like, well, that's an evil island because it's in a fucking crescent. Yeah, it's like like a, you've never seen an island that's not evil. It's, yeah, it's, it, look, it's a volcano shaped like a skull. Yeah. It's clearly a villain's lair. Yeah, exactly. it's, not, it's not fucking Tracy Island, is it? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Um, Bond and uh, the new 00 agent, Nomi, uh, infiltrate this island headquarters where, yes, they find the Russian scientist who is mass producing this nanotechnology. High jinks ensue. So we'll, we'll just pick up the storyline there. Let's start talking about it. Let's do it chronologically. Let's save the end for the yeah. end of this chat. Opening scene, I think, is fucking good, right? So I, I think the problem is with all the other films, your opening scenes were getting more and more and more and more. And at some point, I really like the idea. It's just. I imagine it's quite scary living in the middle of nowhere and then someone just randomly coming in and like shooting your ass. It's massive horror tones. I genuinely thought it was actually phenomenal. I really like the aesthetics of the villain as well. Like this mask that doesn't make any sense. Like Jaws with his teeth, like odd job with his hat. It's just like, why is this guy wearing like a cracked mask? Because it's cracked already. And he's haunting. It's actually genuinely scary. Like she's hiding and he knocks on like windows and you like, it's a horror element. I thought it was actually a really good opening. Really strong, really liking it. And it's got that panic room that she can't get into, but yes. she does know where a gun is. You know, he's got his Halloween vibes, you know, like he goes up the stairs, she fucking shoots him off the balcony and yeah. then, he, you know. And then she tries to like hide the body and then, you know. Yeah, I I thought the, the interns of opening really good. The whole Italy sequence I thought was good. The action stuff there was brilliant. The only downside I've got about it is I ease you saw it in a trailer. So, but then there's nothing wrong with that because I have been seeing that trailer for something like eight months now or like 10 or a year, I think. James Bond also survives a an ungodly amount of explosions in this movie. Grenades and bombs, all the stuff that go literally off at his feet. Yeah. Somehow he never dies at any of them. There is an absolutely cracking scene though where he wants to know how Spectre knew where he was and um, Swan's in the seat next to him. She's losing a shit and she's like, please drive. And he stood there because he knows he's in a bulletproof van, but he's very nonchalant. He's like, tell me. And she's mm. like, move, move. And he's like, he refuses to. And I thought it was really cool. Mm. And there's even a guy like right next to outside the window shooting in implying that if the glass breaks anymore, she'll die. And he's just completely nonchalant. It's just like sat there. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's that combination of shell shock. It's that combination of, once again, he's been betrayed by someone he's fallen for or, mm. or was willing to fall for. It's got some nice like themes in it. And it's it's inlaced with just glorious action sequences. There's a scene there's a scene on a bridge, you know, where this, this car's racing at him and he hides behind this, just this little stump oh, of brick. Cool. Yeah. That's really cool. It's only then, the problem is it's then followed by him jumping off a, yep. a, a, the bridge with a rope that somehow doesn't snap his bloody arm. But yeah. so it's got that mix. It's got that mix of, you know, death defying um, stunts then crossed with, you know, motorbikes just making impossible leaps and stuff. <laughs> but also if he thinks that she's working for Spectre when he puts her on the train, why does he not think that she'll just text Spectre and go, oh, the train station? I, I think it's, <laughs> the, I, I like this beginning bit because it's like, he's just been to Vesper's grave. He's blown up. That's going to be playing on his mind. And it's like this, this train scene where he's just, you know, it's like, it's like a classic, it's like Casablanca style. Yeah. It's like, just go you know, I'm done. I'm done with all this fucking stuff. And I like this idea that he retires, goes to Jamaica, you know, and just lives his fucking life. I like, I, the movie starts strong. The movie, you know, the, the opening two sequences, I sat in that film, in that cinema going like, I was that bored and saturated from the trailer, but this has pulled me back in 15 minutes in. I'm loving this. Yeah. 
The Cuba stuff, you know, is really good. You know, the uh, sorry, the Jamaica stuff, and then going over to Cuba again. Anna de Armas is really good. More scenes from the trailer, which we saw. Mm. You know, in um, the double cross elements. You know, the, there is there is a there's a ten minute section where you're like double cross, double cross, double cross, not double cross, and you're like, oh, it's a bit, it's a bit too complicated, or it's going silly. What I do like about it is whilst the story that was running parallel to this is M knows he's done bad. So he knows that he's given the green light to this Heracles project, but at the same time, it's just been stolen from him, but he's trying to hide it from people. The sense of foreboding that he, that Ralph Fiennes is carried at M, it gives to this, is like, he know he, he done fucked up and he's mm. trying to hide it, which is pretty cool. It's nice to see that he's made the moral choice because he sees the, because if you think about it, it's, it's like warfare changes. Like if you do a drone strike, for example, Innocent people may die, but his argument is: but if we do it this way, only the target will die. And it, but it all, it goes it goes back to other themes, like in Civil War. You know, the uh, the Captain America, I'm um, a movie. The idea around, you know, these gunships that will only kill bad guys. You know, mm. had that theme in it. You even got Oppenheimer and the atomic bomb. You know, the, the whole I had to invent it before the enemy invented it. Yeah, and it has that feel to it. And very fine delivers this brilliant line where he's like, "There used to be a time where you could get in the room with the enemy. Now they are in the ether." And mm. So you need a weapon that is in the ether. It, it, I, I'm going to buy it. You know, I, I'll I'll live with it. You know, this I could have lived with a movie. You know, I like movies that do the opposite, where there's a suitcase with something in it that you never actually find out what the weapon is. This it goes into the detail. Like Ben Wishaw's does an explanation scene. Yeah, basically for anyone who did go to the toilet, fell asleep, or was just too convinced. You know, they're eating the revels and trying to find the coffee ones. You know, there is a scene halfway through. It's like just in case you nodded off this is the weapon again because yeah. what's about to happen, you know, with Blofeld and then at the end of the movie, you really need to understand how this weapon works. And that can kind of takes me out of it. There's, I, I think it started brilliantly and in the middle, I, I was like, okay, it's starting to unravel a little bit now. Yeah, it's, it's only that, that way of killing is only designed so they can do the scene with Spectre because they need to be able to wipe out Spectre and they need something for the end. Yeah. Um, but that's pretty good. I mean, what I really like as well as in the Jamaica scenes is the character of Naomi. Like, she's a better Bond. Like, she's not, she doesn't drink. You know, she's not, she's better. She's like an upgraded version of 007. She's 007.2, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. she doesn't have the crutch of alcohol. She's got youth on her side. You know, she's got, she's an actual, what you consider realistic agent. You know, later at the party, she shows up in like bulletproof vest, you know, an actual gun, whereas Bond shows up in a tuxedo that kind of like the old school versus the new school. I like Felix. I've always liked Jeffrey Wright. I think he's brilliant in pretty much he does. He brings a kind of grounded reality. Like when you watch old Bond films, you never, you hear the name Felix, but you always consider that this is the first time I've actually believed Felix and James were friends. Yeah, yeah. And I really like that. And I don't mean in this film, I mean throughout, even in Casino Royale, there's always that image, that belief that, oh, you know what, they're good friends. Um, I'm not going to spoil what happens in that sort of thing just for spoiler's sake. There's so much to really love and really enjoy about these opening scenes. I really like them. Like I said, I really like what's going on. The only problem is when you pull the focus onto like a new project, you are removing uh, key scenes from, I think, Q. I think Q is probably not utilised enough in this. And Moneypenny, I quite like the character of Moneypenny, the, the equivalent, you know, like Bond's like trying to nominate you, like, oh, mm. fuck yourself. <laughs> I like someone that, <laughs> that there isn't enough of them. But then the the scenes when Bond comes back and a playful rivalry with the new 007, uh, sometimes are good and sometimes are, it depends. I think that depends on you because mm. I like I like fifty percent of the time and fifty percent of the time I thought 
he hasn't evolved. He's kind of childish bickering. Do something. Mm. Yeah, so, but also, you know, the films, for a film that's two hours and 45 minutes, you don't actually think there's anything wrong with the pacing for the first half. No, I think pacing's good. And then, you know, it does that thing in the middle of the movie where you, you get your three main characters or, or four main characters in a room together and let them have a bit of dialogue. And mm. you do that a couple of times at the MR6 agency. Again, really good scene with Ray Fiennes, veteran actor, you know, just a brilliant performer, giving him and Daniel Craig, you know, some tough drama scenes to to film out. And then then you get your your Band of Brothers scene with your, your Naomi Harris, Ben Whishaw and that, and, and Bond's, yeah, you know, at Q's apartment, you know, and you get that kind of lovely, they're your, they're your main yeah. three, you know. But the only downside is, you may have noticed this, we're nearly about halfway through this film and we haven't mentioned Rami Malek. Now, now this word my we- immediate instinct when I came out of the cinema was I like that R- Remy Malik wasn't the center of attention. In, J- in Daniel Craig's last outing as Bond, yeah. they made this movie about Bond. Like it was around him wanting to retire, trying to get over uh, Vesper, trying to move on with his life, but just being married to the job. Um, and, and I actually thought if you came in with a big bad, it would have been like, oh God, well, Christoph Waltz was the big bad. Javier Bardem was the big bad. Madden Migson was. I'm skipping Solace. Yeah. But so don't worry, so does the Bond films. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It would be like, oh, here we go. Another one who is more scary than the last one. It kind of, his imposing threat was that he won, essentially. He did what he set out to do by the middle of the film. And that does, you know what? That's really cool. And, and if it ended there, James, I would have been like, well done, Remy Malik. Two scenes. Pain. You were the best Bond villain because you got what you wanted. They never knew who you were. If he exited there, I would have been like, fucking A, that's that, brilliant writing. That would have been brilliant. He got what he wanted. However, and he went in the wind. He's like, I'm no longer a villain. I'm now just going to go work at, you know, the supermarket. You see, the problem is when I'm playing fantasy booking, that's how it ends. And then when Bond finally tracks him down, he's like an accountant in a normal house. You yeah. know, that's how he is, but he's not. He's bought himself a fucking island, yeah. which was his own island, which was his family's island. That Spectre overtook and he's come back. And, and instead of like, what's he going to do? He's put like fucking flowers everywhere. Now, the problem with that is that's the end. That's the third act. Between now, he shows up again. Now he's obsessed with Madeline Swan, but it's not really explained. So Madeline Swan is... It's because run- she's the only one who knows his identity. And that, is, so that, she, is that I, you putting that in there, though? No, because they, she she tells Bond who he is. Yeah. And so the, the, the scene where he comes back, he's tracking that. She's the loose end. If he, if he kills her... Yeah, he's in the wind without MR6 or anyone knowing he exists and he's got the world's deadliest weapon. Like, but, but that's not his motivation though, is it? Because if he wanted to do that, he would have killed her in the first three minutes of the film. Well, he would have killed her immediately after she killed or led to Blofeld's death. Yeah, but, but she also, he even, but what is really weird is he even promises he won't, but you're supposed to, he's, Rami Malek's character, Satan Lucifer, <laughs> isn't supposed to be a villain, is he? He's supposed to be Bond, but to an extreme. You know, he's supposed to be Bond, but he even says it. He's like, we want the same thing. I just a little tidy. You know, he wants to do it in a way that, you know, people don't get hurt. So he's a villain. In the, he's a villain, but only in the, in the oh, fuck it, I don't even know how to describe it. He's a good guy. The only reason he's a villain is his methods. Mm. But ultimately, his methods, if you think, will save lives. But I don't, want to get into, I don't want to get into the classic good versus bad debate. I think by the time we get here, towards the end of the movie, where they go to the island, and it, you know, and it's, it, this is classic Bond territory now. We yeah. are on the villain's island. We've seen it already in the Daniel Craig sequences. And the, yeah, this this to me was the point where it, I started to lose it a little bit. Although there's some great action, there's some great cinematography in this scene, there's great acting in this scene. It is where it's like, it, it dropped the ball a little bit for me. So, the, you know, when they're on this this 
you know, again, it's like, it's like Metal Gear Solid, you know, they infiltrates this base where the villain is. The villain knows he's there. He's got yeah. a hostage. Bond is fucking walking around, figuring everything out. And, you know, no one is stopping him. He takes out a few agents or whatever. And then you have the auto, you know, you're going to get to the scene where the good guy and the bad guy have to sit down and trade off to, I you think know. it came too late in the film. I think if it caught, you see, so I'm agreeing with you. I think if they were going down the route that Remy Malik, you know, his villain, mm. Lucifer Satan, wasn't that big of a deal. You have the perfect end. He disappears and he doesn't show up till right at the end when he hooks him down. But if he's truly that, he wouldn't have like a big business, you know, a big fucking island. Mm. He'd have like a small thing. You know, he doesn't want to be the villain. He had to do it for revenge because the whole story is that Spectre killed his family. He's destined by revenge. That's why he went round to Mr. White's house to kill his family because Mr. White had killed his. You know, it's tit for tat. I, before they get to the island, I, you're going to keep going back to this. They could have ended the movie there where they go their separate ways. Bond is like, I've said I'm out five times. <laughs> Every movie. Like Blofeld, Blofeld is gone. Like, you know, I've got, you know, nothing. It's the Madeline thing brings him back into the game and the little kids, you know, and everything mm. that it's definitely not his. Yeah. Oh, it's still not his. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> and here's where I'm kind of, here's, here's where I'm like, I don't know. I, I think it's one half. It's brilliant. One half. I, I don't know. The, the Remy Malik Daniel Craig scene where they sit down is 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 a bit true. The scenery. I thought it was. I they don't, don't talk to each other like humans talk to each other. I'll be honest. I thought it was shit. I thought yeah. it was one of the weakest point. If we just done five films, it, this was our quantum size. I thought it was pretty bad. The, the the reason why it's bad is that there are four henchmen in the room with him. None of them with their guns up. You know, it's that typical. Here we go. James Bond. Villain talking about why he's a villain, you know, and, and how evil he is. Telling Bond everything. We know Bond's going to get out of there with a gadget, a gizmo, a gun or whatever like that. Um, Remy Malik is, you know, I like Remy Malik. I think I he's know, awesome. I love Remy Malik. But he, he was like, Bond villain? Got it. Yeah. I know I'm going to do it. And he does this like really cringy Bond villain, you know, mm. the, hardly moving his face as he's talking, you know, and he's talking very soft palate. And, and it's every- like he's trying to be slow and methodical, but... But that, but it's so out of place for his character and what he's done. Yeah. He should be eccentric genius or should be, he, he, he kind of slips between the two. And also, I'm going to say this, and it sounds weird, he's not very threatening. No. Like at all. Like, But he's, he's walking around like a Camino. He knows all the plants, all the deadly ones, and you're supposed to think, I think you're supposed to get vibes of like, you know, classic ones. You know, like, I can't remember off the top of my head, but like, you know, the guy says, Goldfinger, you know, they're, they're obsessed by this thing, but the plants thing doesn't come up. It's just, mm. it's just, it just happens to know that. Or is there a bond? You know, he it's like he wants to be the child's father. He gives John Bond an ultimatum. He's like, you leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. You know, that's that makes sense. It's like, you leave me alone and I'll give you this girl. And he says to him, he's like, your daughter. And he's like, but it's not my daughter. But anyway, and then later, the girl's like, I don't want to play with you. And he's like, right, right fuck off then. Mm. He's, he's just a twat. Yeah, this, this starts to unravel really bad, this part. You know, it... Yeah, the, the taking of the daughter, she then gets away. He's like, yeah, all right, off you go. Yeah, he's, he's just, perfectly fine with just, it, yeah. just, just go play in this weird island, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I kind of... Uh, but but do you know what? The action does hold up. And now what we're going to say is, I think, weirdly, one of the weakest moments, and I just think it's... it's Roman Mike doesn't give a good performance, but I'd be honest, the reason why it doesn't matter for two reasons is because you said it. The, story, the villain is the storyline. The storyline is Bond and the end of Bond. It, it, Remy Malik, you could have actually replaced him with a face. If you never saw Remy Malik's character without a mask on, you, the film would have been better because it'd be mysterious. It's like, who did this to Spectre? Mm. You know, and it leads them to an island. Imagine if it led them to an island and there was a very few people on it and they, and they killed a guy with a mask mm. 
and the guy fell off an island and they never knew who it was. That would have been cool. That would have been different. Well, that, that would then echo a, a movie that I think is amazing and that's No Country for All Men. Yeah. And that movie ends with a big monologue from Tommy Lee Jones as the aging sheriff who is basically telling the viewer the times have changed. He's, yeah. You know, the sheriff doesn't ride into town and get the bad guy who you identify because they're unshaven and they're wearing dark clothing. You know, like the world has moved on. There are psychopaths and villains out there beyond the law that just are yeah. so beyond what we, we, what we're used to. And he gives this whole speech and then the film ends. And I thought that would have been, a, how brave would that have been in the Bond movie where Bond's like, fucking, no, that, that guy, he's got the, the your problem, yeah. Ray Fiennes, your problem. But then, so, and then I think the ending's too quickly wrapped up, but that said, it's got one of the best action scenes. It's got it's one of the best action, action scenes. Great it's, action, yeah. It's, it's continuously cut, however, there are, uh, one shot, however, there are smart, smart edits, edits, but it doesn't matter because you were having so much fun. It's, it's, I think it starts off with him going into a room and someone throwing a grenade, he throws back up, and then 15 come down. And then I think he runs up the stairs and you follow him as he goes up the stairs. Think Daredevil, you know, that famous fight scene through the prison where he's just getting the shit kicked down, he's killing people. He's, do you know what? It holds up. It's awesome. It's, yeah. I don't know how it holds up. It was out like two weeks ago. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant action sequence. It's fantastic. Well shot, well edited, well put together. I was having great fun. Um, I think the director picked some like bold choices with that and I thought they held up. But then- It's that Carrie Fuganata, isn't it? True detective yeah, style. So again, yeah, exactly. long, smart edits. Um, but they've got this, so it, it boils up. So there's this island in the middle of contested waters. There's like the Russian, the Japanese, the Chinese. I think Britain's involved, fucking maybe even Ethiopia. There were all these planets, all these countries after this one island because they want to launch weapons at it. But M makes this big deal about, oh, you can't, we can't launch any weapons, you know, because if we do that, we be seen as a world war. They launch weapons and nothing comes of it. And mm. I found that at the end, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of, well, nothing happens here. Like the nanobites, do they get out? Does it matter? Because you know, they're infecting the water, aren't they? The idea being that the water, they're putting all those nanobites in the ocean and eventually they'll go around the world and they'll be able to do whatever they want. I just thought it was... The ending seemed a bit rushed, like really rushed. Basically, when they got to the island, I think they were just like, we need to wrap this the fuck up. And it still yeah. took them like 40 minutes to do that. And then, <laughs> then the best way, bomb fuck out of it. Bomb fuck like, out of it. Just, yeah. It, that whole end sequence is... I like, I like the time thing. I like the... Mm. you know, Because again, here I'm like thinking of... I've talked about Metal Gear Solid, forgive films like The Rock you know, this idea that your hero is on the island, that it's surrounded by people with their finger on the button, you know, to, to fucking blow that shit up. And, uh, you know, the, the ending, the ending is, is, is brave, you know, like oh, saying, then, saying, you know, everything that they didn't do, fucking what they did do was, I think the right thing. So, I mean, mega spoilers now, I guess we've got to talk fucking, about. Do you say it, James? Right. Well, I'm going to say this, which was seen. I never thought, whose words I'd never say is the worst Bond villain. <laughs> you're supposed to imply that he's left the island and Bond's got to go back and reopen the blast doors. Otherwise, you know, the missiles will be ineffective and this virus, this nanobot virus will take over the world. But he's walking back, mate. Well, shy surprise. Then he turns out that Rami Malek's still there. Shoots him. Should that was quite weird because I did, I did genuinely think Rami Malek had gone. So did I, but at this time, I, I'll be honest, I didn't really, the ending was kind of anticlimactic by this point. He killed a lot of people in one run like, and then the island was done. Which mm. I guess makes more sense. It's not like they're not going to be like a limitless amount of bodies, are there? It's like Diard, you know, seventeen terrorists. You know, realistic oh, yeah. numbers. You know, like he, yeah, he hasn't got an army. Yeah, um, but it turns out that Roman Malik, as a as a as a way to keep Swan in control, has developed a blood toxin poison that will kill her daughter. 
and obviously it will kill um it would kill people that biologically no it doesn't kill people this might get confused because if he's the father technically should have killed him but I don't want to get onto that so there's a disease the nanobot that um he's got around his neck that Lucifer Satan has got is maintained for Madeline Swan's daughter Breaks. Smashes it on Smashes uh, it. Bond. And, and it's kind of implied that it was by mistake as well because he gets shot. So Bond shoots Rami Malek and then when they're both laying next to each other, he sees the vase broken. He's like, and then he gives a speech, which to be honest, Rami Malek puts on an accident in front of it really pissed me off and I wasn't listening. He's like, what, what, he's like, isn't it ironic that you killed me but killed your daughter at the same time? It's just like, oh, shut up, Rami Malek. Mm. You're fucking done. I was like, I've really hated Rami Malek. I think it's because they're in the water, isn't it? They're, yeah, that's They're in the it. water, and so it smashes in the water, Bond's in the water, the nanobites are therefore on Bond, so meaning he, that he's got this horrible, it's almost like Greek... Greek tragedy, Greek yeah. Greek tragedy, yeah. So he goes up, and I remember he opens the the blast doors, and Q's basically telling him how far out is he, and he, he won't, they won't launch the weapons until he's out. And he tells him, no, you have to. And then he calls Naomi, he's like, I need to talk to Madeline. And he gives a speech, and he... Basically, she confirms that he's her daughter. She confirms that his Bond's daughter, shocker, because mm. no one saw that coming. And then it's in the eyes, man. And then he basically fucking takes his shoes off, mate, relaxes, and he's basically gonna ride out of the storm because he basically decides to make the choice to kill himself when the when the missile strikes the island. The reason being that if he were to enter the real world, he would infect and kill his wife and child. Well, not his wife, the mother and child, because mm. basically. The, that's the way it's designed. He would touch Q, Q would touch M, M would touch Madeline Swan, Madeline Swan would touch the daughter. So basically, if he left that island, he would kill his family. So he decides to do the one thing he can, which is to stay there and die. And James Bond dies. And uh, and that's not the true ending. The true ending is that we're all used to Bond driving away in the sunset. And he doesn't. It's Madeline Swan talking to, in the famous car, doing the famous cliffs. And she says, let me tell another story about your father. And do you know what? I think that was probably the bravest and best way to end that film. I thought, mm. do you know what? I hate the final act. I think it's shit. I hate Rami Malek. I do kind of blame Rami him. Rami Malek's character. Rami Malek's character, yeah. I don't think he gives a great performance, but I think he was a very poorly written villain. And it'll always stick with me. So the first time we've ever seen James Bond die on the big screen was because of this character in a series of films where we had Mads Mikkelsen and Christopher Walsh and the best, uh, Javier Bardem. That, to me, just doesn't sit right. However, what a phenomenal ending. The decision to do the most unbond thing. Mm. And here's another thing. Does Bond sleep around in this film? No. He sleeps with one woman, and it's implied that he's finally over Vespa and his life has been rattling spun. He is not Bond in this film. And do you know what? That's called an arc, a character arc. And I was reading again in The Sun, the Sun's like, it's not a Bond film. It's like, that's the fucking point. Mm. The character has changed from your depiction of the fucking 50s. I, I I like the ending. I thought the ending was brave. I'm not going to lie, mate. I bore my eyes out in cinema in that scene. Really? Yeah. Oh, I, I, didn't... I don't know if it's just because I became a dad this year. Well, yeah. the very end of last year. And uh, you'd never seen Bond with a family. It's a yeah. fair, you know, you're like, you, the moment that kid comes on screen, you're like, oh my that's God, like, that's Bond's kid. Do you know what? I thought, I, I don't know the five-year-old. She was brilliant. I and, thought she was so yeah, cute and brilliant she, as well. Yeah. And so straight away, there's that part of your brain that is acclimatized to believe that this film will end with him with his settling down with his family. Yeah. And, and it'd been rumored that this was quite like the Lazenby Bond movie, you know, where he gets married and- She dies. Yeah, so it, I, I kind of thought it's going to have that ending. She she may die and he may then have the kids and yeah. and they will ride off into the sunset together. So it, it does that really cool thing. The like, downside so the, is genuinely you'd have Jack Bauer syndrome. Like every film mm. after that would be James Bond protecting his daughter. Just like every series after series one was Jack Bauer trying to protect Kimbo. You're like, well, don't yeah. give a shit. And that, that's the that's the that's the good strength of the writing is the magician thing. You know, you're focusing on one hand and you should have been looking at the other. And 
I liked that. I thought the ending was, do you know what? Actually, it wasn't the missile hitting the island and Bond going. It cuts to a scene of um, Q looking at a dashboard mm. and um, and Naomi's character, the you know, the 007, you know, it says heart rate and Bond's just says zero. And mm. that was the scene where I was like, hey, you know, yeah, Bond's dead. Because, you know, show me a body, you know, the yeah. kind of thing. But that Bond clearly fucking hit that island. Um, you know, when his vitals had gone, you know, flatlined. It, I, to be honest, that the cinema, mate, God, it was silent, and, and it was pretty full when I was in there. Yeah. Silent. I, I think it was one of those moments where I think everyone was in disbelief. I can't, you know, like Endgame, you know, in, uh, not just Endgame, sorry, in um, Infinity, Infinity War, War when he, when the snap happened, it, everyone was like, no, and then when it happened, no one knew what to fucking say. It's like, oh my god, like brave, well done, and. It, it's iconic. I will. I won't be like you. I won't think it was Remy Malik and get disheartened. I will think that was a, such an iconic no, moment no, in I, cinema history. I was. I was there when Bond died. Mm. There's there's people who grew up on Bond that never saw Bond die. I will remember Bond dying. I remember Bond growing as a character, which he's never done. Mm. Daniel Craig is responsible for the only growth of a character. Let's be honest, he's quite repugnant on paper. Mm. He's now gone from like assassin to to doing the right thing for the right reason. You know, he sacrificed himself, you know, he could have chosen to live on Jamaica and just like sent emails, but he was like, I can't ever risk it. I can never risk it happening. Yeah. So he decides to kill himself. That's a big character art. You know, he could have decided to like live away somewhere in secret again. <coughs> Excuse me. I'll always think that my problem with it is I'll always think, I just, I just, if you're going to have a villain like that, don't have a villain like that. I mean, just do what you said, make them so mysterious and make him like, such a character that you never get to know him. Because what's the... Play with it. If you're going to have Bond die at the end, play with the villain. Be Make the villain completely soundless. And do you know what I was really lacking was a um, henchman. The henchman in this is the guy with the eye because he switches sides, doesn't he? He, he then starts working for Roman Malik's character. Give me Dave Bautista from Spectre in this. That would have been mm. cool. You know, it's like a believer in, in what he's doing, like a good guy. Maybe have M start thinking, well, maybe, you know, I'd rather have this in our control. Maybe he does a deal with it. You know, you could have done more... It was ultimately disappointing, as in that character. I've got no problem with the storyline. I've got no problem with it. I do think Billy Eilish's song was pretty, to be quite boring. But that's not her fault. I think I may have heard it a year before I'd actually seen the film. Yeah. <laughs> it's been constant, so I'm not going to blame her. I didn't think the song was that strong, though. But my only problem with it is, is the villain. And I love a Bond villain. And the fact that I thought the villain was one of the weakest villains I've, in the history of Bond doesn't take away from the fact that I actually thoroughly enjoyed this film. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I should say that. I enjoyed yeah. it. I enjoyed being in the cinema. I thought... Enjoyed, I'm just, I'm just, it gave me everything I needed in a Bond movie, plus extra. Yeah. And everything I expected in a Bond movie, which is I expect to be disappointed in certain scenes <laughs> because it's going to happen, isn't it? It's a, they're, they're big shoes to fill and, and they are notoriously, you know, full of holes, bullet yeah. holes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the Dan, what Daniel Craig and, and the team achieved in five movies, mm. you know, you think, well, fucking hell, the whole franchise took 20 movies to do what you've done in five and, you, and they did it perfectly. Yeah. Like say arc development, you had narratives that intertwined between characters. One. Jesus Christ! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was. A, it's a very solid sequence for five movies, and that was the biggest well, takeover. Well, from, quantum, well, quantum's yeah. in there, yeah. <laughs> but that was the biggest takeover for me because I was like, "Do we need no time to die?" Because obviously, uh, Daniel Craig had said in an interview, "I'd rather slip my wrist than go back to being Bond." Yeah. And so I was like, well, you know, money talks, is it that? Or is it that it is a really good script? And that, I walked out going, actually, that is such a from Casino Royale to that happy with that there are bumps along the way Quantum Solace Remy yeah. Malik, couple yeah. of other bits but it's five movies fucking hell I wish the Die Hard movies were that yeah. you know what I mean I wish there was the Indiana Jones movies were that 
Do you know what I mean? Like, because there's only four of them, James. Three of them. Three of them. <laughs> with the fifth, with the fourth oh, one's on its way. Which is weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I was, I walked away happy with it. Actually, I brave, bored my eyes out, fucking heartbroken. I mean, I know I completely. Agree. <clears> I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't bother. That's because I'm emotionally dead inside. You know that. Mm. But no, just because I've been like, I spent a long time piercing on Rami Malek and his character. Do you know what? That doesn't take away from a very powerful film. Yeah. And if you want strong female characters, the dialogue was punchy. It was right side of humour. Daniel Craig's scenes where he likes making breakfast for that girl. Some of the, do you know what? Some of the best scenes aren't even the action scenes. And I'm not... Ta- and it's got one of the best action scenes since frigging John Wick with him going up some stairs. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's brutal. It's fantastic. Do you know what? He looks hardcore wearing gloves and a shirt going around shooting people with like a machine gun. It looks... It's he's visually brilliant. drawstring cardigan at the end. Brilliant. Do you, yeah. what, do you know what? There's a lot. There's a lot to be said for this film. It's very good. There are low points, but do you know what? The high points easily overshadow them. There's oh, easily, more high peaks, easily. and they're better than the lowest low. I'm points. not going to go back to watch it at the cinema, but when it comes out, I will be I'll be purchasing it. Mm. So, um, oh sorry, but no, I, I, I so I, I also like in there as well that the family narrative in it. You know, you got the beginning of the movie is all this like again red herrings, not red herring, but. That whole thing that you're focusing on, well, he killed my family, so I'm killing your family. And then you don't realise at the end, Bond saves his family. Like, that's yeah. that's the arc of that movie. You know, because when I, I deliberately, when I was writing the synopsis and the plot there about, you know, the beginning of the movie, it's like, right, right so this person killed all these people, then he kills these people, but he saves his daughter. And then, you know, because it, it wraps, it has this ending that is just poetic. I fucking loved it. I actually, actually, the more I think about it, best ending that the way that that film could have ended, actually. Mm. Um, so hats off to the writing, hats off to the to the screenplay of this film. Uh, absolutely cracking. Mm. I mean, a great ending. Mm. Great way to sign off as Bond as well. Yeah. Yeah, what and a also, ride. And also doing it in a way where like, well, I'm definitely not coming back. <laughs> I'm definitely not coming back. And also the next Bond, whoever it is, can't die because I've done that. You know, I've, ne- I've, 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 I take that one, you know. I do think this sets up though for an incredibly young Bond because they've done the Bond being the analogue and a digital. I think they're going to go Bond like in a training to be a secret agent. I, that's why I'm thinking it's got to be Richard Madden. I can't see anyone else other than Richard Madden. I, I worry that they're going to go too young though and it become yeah. almost like Kingsman. But that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I can In like 18 year old out of like school in, you know, it heavily implies that he was adopted in, in Casino Royale. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't want to go that far back. Oh no, I'm just saying that's probably what they will do. The other, the other thing, one is, thing they've never done is an origin story for Bond. Well, do you know they now? If 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 the gloves are off and they can have artistic license to do what they want with Bond, mm. you know, and I know this conversation about making Bonds female, you know, changing the race. Well, actually, of the, the, the well, actually Bond. read somewhere from I believe it's I would say Broccoli. You know, the guy and Daniel Craig have said this. He said James Bond should never be a woman mm. because, but then they haven't said that in a negative way. They've said, but why isn't there more strong female characters? Which is the point. Like, why does James Bond have to be a woman? Why isn't there a kick-ass, you know, Kerry? Wall, who's fucking even badder? You know why not? Yeah, no, that that, that is true in cinema, isn't it? Don't just don't gender just swap. On. Well, yeah, you, the biggest one for me will always be Ghostbusters. Why don't you just tell a different story? Yeah, why yeah. just you on female? Because I thought that hurt that film, but I don't want to get into that. No, no, I think, we don't I think have, you're completely right. You need hours. more <laughs> original characters yeah. for, for women to play than, like you say, gender changing the um, ones that are already established. So to me, I mean, my my hat would be Riz Ahmad. I think I've said this I numerous times. Is that yeah. Richard Madden? I can, he's probably a front runner for it. Yeah. Um, but I, the the other side, if you got that artistic license to be free, you can make Bond a villain in the next sequence of him. You mm. know, you could explain it like Bourne. You know, memory wiped. You know that kind of thing. You could have him as a war vet. You know, with PTSD. There's loads of things now. I think that this shows that. 
in a polite way, you can move away from Ian Fleming's source material, much like comic books have moved away from well, the source material. Well, they need to. <laughs> yeah, because I think that, is, you know, you, you can't go back to the Connery, Roger Moore, mm. you know, uh, chivalrous male, chauvinistic kind of characters. But at the same time, now is a chance to really reinvent the spy genre because it is tired of gadgets, gizmos, Aston Martins. You could do away with all of that stuff It was now. great not seeing gadgets, wasn't it? Mm. It was great just seeing like a watch in quantum size that blows up when he sets it up because it's literally just a bomb. It's a hidden grenade, which makes sense. The other option is they're going to, they'll Americanize Bond. That that would be the other thing. They'll they'll make Bond a, a you know an American agent. The thing is, though, I think I don't think they'll do that purely because they've got their own. Mm. They've got, if you if they got they've got like Ryan as the CIA agents and that sort of thing. They've they've got their own heroes. Um, I think it was a thoroughly good five. You know, ultimately an average is out. Now, this is something that we're not going to be able to answer now until we've done other episodes. But as Bonds go, I think his run was very successful, which ultimately leads to the question was, is he, could you consider him as one of the best Bonds? So he's clearly my Bond because I grew up in that, I mean, I grew up in the Brosnan era as well, but, mm. you know, everyone's got multiple death notes. But so <laughs> we'll get into that. <laughs> to, to me, to me, Craig is my favourite, yeah. Already you're sticking that? Yeah, 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 he is, yeah. And he set, he set the bar so high. If I was a better man, I think the, the smartest thing they'll do is the next three or four Bond movies over the next 10 to 20 years will be standalone with a new character each time. I think if they're in smart. In a different timeline. I think if they're smart, they won't touch the franchise for another 10 years. Oh, but I they, don't think they, they they're won't. not going to go near it. Close. I, not within five years. Yeah, no, I reckon they should give it 10 years. Make people, make people forget, make it long. I think Danny Boyle will be the next director. Well, yeah, he he's supposed out this to be one. this one, isn't he? Yeah. Um, ultimately, it was absolutely great to watch these films. I watched them all. Mm. I know you didn't get a chance to see like one of them, but it was fantastic to watch them. Do you know what? Even Quantum Solace has redeemable qualities. However, it will always go down as one of the worst. Now, probably at the end of this long series, we are actually going to rank all Bond movies. But if I'm just going to have to say that the battle I will have is I think Casino Royale did more for the Bond franchise than Skyfall. So I think Casino Royale might be pipping Skyfall as my favourite, but I don't know. It's, it's there, mate. It's a tender. I'm just saying, I don't, we don't have to get into this debate because it'll go on forever. But I'm just saying those two films, if you've got a choice to watch one, you can't go wrong with either of them. No, yeah, yeah, true, true. I just think Casino Royale doesn't age as well as Skyfall. I know, mm. and I know that one is six years older than the other, Yeah, but Casino Royale, we were watching it this week as like, ooh, dangerously, <laughs> dangerously mid-2000s. But yeah, they're both, they're both, brilliant i like all the daniel craig ones including solace i didn't watch it this week but um so we're gonna do it in reverse order so when we do do the next installment of bond it'll be brosnan's Brosnan. and then i think we're gonna wait for lazenby and and bolt and dawn because they were only just so little films they will be kind of their own contained well and if one. we can get the niven movie as well which is yeah, hard to down. yeah so free, I think it was on free license, which is how it was able to be made. But that also means that no one got any money from printing it, which means you can't find it. Well, I looked on Amazon uh, to oh, buy yeah. on Blu-ray and it was 99 quid. Or maybe it's the opposite then. Maybe because it was free material then it's yeah. really hard to get. We will, uh, we'll, we'll do them that way. So we'll end with uh, Connery's mm. bonds. Uh, but like I said, they're not going to be anytime soon. We'll, we'll probably move. We've got away from this country stream aside because yeah. I can't afford to buy all the movies. Uh, that's our show for this week. If you do like it, do uh, subscribe, like, and leave us a review. Last thing to do is put any James Bond movies in the Sorry You're In My Seat vault. Safe haven for the greatest movies of all time. I think Skyfall's a cert... I, I do you know what I, I would probably put Casino Royale in well maybe promote it maybe nominate it purely because of what it did it reinvested in the genre that we, James Bond films were dead mm. until Casino Royale came 
Yeah, I, I think we talked about The Matrix last week saying how it was a benchmark movie. And yeah. It, and that certainly was the same for, it was a benchmark Bond. Yeah, so, I, so those I are put, my two. I put the two in. There you go. Let's so. do it. Um, so that is Unfortunately, our, not the three of them weren't that. I don't like Spectre. Did you put Dave Bautista in there? Mr. Hinks. Mr. Hinks. Do you know what? I think when we start talking about henchmen in the last ones, I think henchmen, Bond henchmen might go in there. So let's have let's have Mr. Hinks just as the bouncer of the vault for now. Okay. Everyone needs a job. <laughs> uh, any for the pit? No, those three weren't that bad. No, they're not no, that bad. It, Quantum Solace was bad. And, and do you know what? Maybe on the downward scale, one of the worst bonds. Mm. But even the worst bond, I don't think it's going in. I don't know. Multiplicity was pretty shit. <laughs> maybe. I'm looking at you though, Dan of a day. <laughs> Well, that's a good shout. I might that, yeah, <laughs> write that down. If I don't see that, uh, oh no, yeah. If you do like, uh, don't like, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review. That'd be really kind. And next week is going to have to be our Halloween episode because that that that's Halloween then, isn't it? Oh, is it? Yeah, because we record going... we record a little bit in advance, for about a week in advance. So time goes ahead when you've not got a job. Yeah, so we'll be recording on the 18th. A great time to talk about Adam's Halloween. And then yeah, that'll be it. Or oh no, no, there will there will be one more. So we might do two Halloween episodes okay. this year. But if I don't see you later, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Goodbye. Felt like a long one.